Hey, it's Kristen, and you're listening to Rational in Portland. Thank you so much for joining us on Rational in Portland. I have Aaliyah in the studio, and I met Aaliyah at Multnomah County Commission meetings because I've been going to those lately and testifying, and Aaliyah is there every day that I'm there. Usually, if you if you go to Multnomah County's website, and I'm going to post it in the show notes because everybody needs to start going to these meetings and testifying, they're, the nice thing about them is they're just once a week. They're relatively informal, actually, and you don't even need to sign up ahead of time, unlike a non-agenda item with the city um, or or even an agenda item with the city where you, you generally need to sign up ahead of time. You can just show up that morning if it happens to work for you. Just stop by on your way to work, which a lot of us who are downtown, we can relatively easily do, especially if we're on the east side, because these are on the east side. And it's at the Multnomah building, so I'll, I'll post all of this information. Usually, they're Thursdays at 9.30, but as Aaliyah and I were talking before this, sometimes they just switch it up, and it's suddenly at 9. So um, Aaliyah was telling me that her first time coming there, she thought it was, you know, she relied on the website and assumed it was 9.30, and then all of a sudden realized it would be at 9 o'clock, and sometimes if you, I'm going to post the link to this too, if you go to their agenda items, usually they will tell you that the next meeting is actually starting at a different time, like it's starting at 9 o'clock, which is how I learned that mine, the first one I testified at was going to start at 9 o'clock, was from um, somebody, a listener who was looking at the website, knew I was going to be going and alerted me. But otherwise, I wouldn't have paid attention to that. So go to their agenda items website before you, like that morning or maybe the night before, before you show up, because you're not going to get a heads up from from the clerk or anybody about it. But the nice thing is you just slide on in there and you write down your name and you sit and you wait and they'll call you up there. Um, and they'll call you up by whatever name you write down. So if you're injured and pissed off, who's there every week, that's the, <laughs> they'll call you that. If you're a lightning super conductor, and now I forget his entire Something name. Karma, yeah. Except Car- karma Lab. Yeah. They will call you up by that name. Um, and actually, he's pretty smart and he really likes Julia Brim Edwards and he likes Sharon Myron who who I also like so so he's he's pretty interesting to to listen to some are not so interesting um some are mm-hmm. like clearly mentally ill and then of course we've got community members like Aaliyah here so Aaliyah welcome thank you so much for coming in um and thank I, you for having me oh my god I'm just I'm so thrilled that you're here because I was listening to you week after week talk about what's going on across the street from this condominium that you own and you have children and you know people can't see you but you identify as a black woman you're a black woman yes yes um so you're a person of color who this city purports to want to protect and want to 
um, lift up? Well, don't all their speeches start with, we're wanting to protect black and indigenous women, right? black and indigenous people. I swear every uh, statement that I've heard from a lot of the politicians and stuff, that's what they usually like to start with. So yeah, we've become the, we've become the whole platform for people to, we want to help you. Well, I don't feel helped right now. And so. Well, my understanding is you also don't feel protected. Absolutely not. No. So tell us a little bit about your background, because I think that's important to understand. You were actually trying to tell the commissioners this at the last commissioner meeting. And um, one of the things that you pointed out is that at these meetings and also at the city council meeting, because you went to the camping ban hearing and you were one you had to sit through how many pieces of testimony? 150 people? 150 plus people. Before you were able to testify, yeah. which is just amazing. Yeah. And you did that. And then, of course, you were cut off when the time limit happened because yeah. you're a put-together person who follows time limits. Right, and had actually typed out a statement, stuck to it. Uh, it seemed like the people that were coming in being outrageous, being disrespectful. One gentleman got out of his seat that was in the in-person testimonials and started, you know, using profanities and stuff. And they let him go at least a minute over his three minutes allotted to him. So it's it's disheartening when um, it, it's almost like they don't want to hear the people that are taking this seriously. And it's more of they want to parade a circus. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think my my guess is, I have no idea, I haven't talked to them any of them about this, but my guess is this is kind of like allowing all these bodies to be splayed out on the sidewalk. This They feel sorry for these people, mm-hmm. and they feel like they must be out of their gourd in some way, shape, or form to say F you, F you, F you to every single one, so they just let them do it. Well, what's unfortunate about that, though, is that they aren't taking into account that there are people like me who are disabled and suffer from mental health issues that are able to articulate themselves in a manner that should be listened to, especially when we're vocalizing concerns. Um, The commissioners are not unfamiliar with me having PTSD and being disabled. And I think is that the nature of your disability PTSD? Right, right. And is that from your? We we talked a minute off air about how you've had sexual severe sexual trauma right. in the form of rape. Right. Is is it from that or something else or a well, co- combination? It's a combination of things. So uh, I was raised in the foster care system, and I was diagnosed with the mental health disorder when I was 14 years old and I was put onto disability and uh, it was from severe childhood abuse and sexual assault. So uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, thank you. I, you know, it took me a lot of years to deal with things and get to a healthy place to where I was able to, you know, buy my own home and be able to start working outside of my home, but I feel like that's all been taken away from me recently because of the situation in my neighborhood that the city leaders are ignoring, which is the illegal unsanctioned camp that's housing up to 50-plus people. And this is across the street from the condo that you purchased. Yes. And when when did you purchase this? 2021. And Um, so there was nothing going on then? 
Well, see, I was, so for me, I was, I saw it. And I mean, I, funny thing is, is my brother, my older brother had, uh, I had him come look at the unit because I was really excited. I really love uh, McCormick Pier. It's a beautiful place. Um, Where is McCormick Pier for people who don't know or who aren't from Portland? It's right between the Broadway and the Steel Bridge. It's the red condominiums that sits right on the river's edge. And it has that beautiful pathway that goes along the river where you can see wildlife. Um, it's, it's just a beautiful place in downtown Portland that's been here since the 1980s. So when I saw a unit was affordable for me and... You know, it was plausible. I asked my brother to come help me, and he's like, what is this over here? <laughs> he was referring to the camp. And uh, I was like, well, no, we can just go through the Pearl District. But that's when I was using a bicycle and stuff. I wasn't really uh, on foot too much. So it wasn't too much of an issue. And I also understood that we were coming out of a pandemic, and so the city needed time to regroup. And I just figured that, you know, once we had got a vaccine that we were going to, you know, get things together and this would be cleaned up. So I didn't anticipate that this was going to be a long-term issue. Where had you been living before? Um, I was, well, for 23 years, uh, I was living in Hawaii. I moved away when I was uh, 19, 20 years old, back in 97. But then I recently moved back during the pandemic to help my daughter with childcare. I, uh, because even though, I mean, people can't see you, but you appear to be 17 years old and you have a granddaughter. <laughs> I have a grandson too. Like we're boogieing right now, I guess we got the seven year old and the, and the four year old. So, you know, uh, originally I did get a place at the ASA, um, over there on Lovejoy. I love downtown Portland. I grew up in Portland, um, You know, my children were born and partially raised here, too. I love downtown. Downtown has always been a joyous place for me. I mean, the city life is is my thing. Um, So being down here was an important part of if I was going to live in Portland, this is where I wanted to be, you know. Uh, So, yeah, yeah. this is where everything is happening. And if you're interested at all in culture or – and this is where all – I mean – it doesn't necessarily have to be downtown, but within the city limits, I find, are where the most interesting people live and are, or at least are working or are doing interesting creative things. If you want to go right. to the art museum, if you want to go to the symphony, if you yeah. want to do anything at all cultural that has some kind of substantial heft to it where extremely talented people happen to be, it's oh, here. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, listen, I even, I even like the weird guy on the corner that's like doing weird things you know I don't know how many people are originally from Portland but there was a man that used to sing Elvis songs on a cardboard guitar with an amp tied to it you remember him he was great and it wasn't even that we love him he was awesome um the naked bike rides I love it live for it might participate in it you know (laughs) but uh it's it's just disheartening to see, uh, you know, I again, I forgave a lot of the things that were going on here when I moved back in 2021 because we were coming out of a pandemic and I understood that everywhere was having a difficult time. What I'm not understanding is the lack of leadership um, here 
right now because there's such a failure to act. And not a failure, to, but here's the thing. There's a failure to act for residents, right? But they're not necessarily failing to act for the addicts because here it is, we have made everything so accommodating for them up till now, including now we're gonna give out tin foil and crack pipes and straws. Now, how can you tell me that this is the same thing as when we were handing out needles? It's not. When we were handing out needles, which we should still be doing, we're trying to reduce the spread of a deadly disease. We are trying to reduce of AIDS. Which we is are how trying. that started. It ex- started during the AIDS epidemic. How many people were dying in Portland of HIV? Yeah. Hepatitis. Hepatitis. Listen, my family... I have addicts in my family. My younger brother is an addict. My mother was a recovering addict my whole life. I grew up going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings with her on the regular. And that's how you ended up in the foster care system? Well, she was never using. She just, she was an abusive mom. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, it's, it's, it happens. I mean, it's a whole nother story, girl. It's a whole. attribute that to her addiction? Um... I think that mental health issues uh, definitely affected her. And I think that just like you find with a lot of people that use drugs, they self-medicate. She was, um, prior to her being pregnant with me, she had been using heroin. She had cleaned up um, before she got pregnant with me, but uh, it still didn't fix um, some of her personal issues. That, you know, I mean, we're back in a day two where uh, well, that wasn't talked physical about. abuse was not as um, talked about. And, and it stuff. wasn't taken as seriously. No, it wasn't. I mean, see, for me, my mom worked for the circuit courts. So she was somebody that so everybody looked reputable. Absolutely. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So things in our household were pretty ugly. And so it's, I got to see a lot of different people in foster care from different walks of life. So when I say that I've had a lifetime of experience of just everything, I mean, and, and still growing because I have to say that I've never had such a close encounter with a drug epidemic like this. Like you have living in Portland. No. So what's interesting is over and over again, if you look at statistics in regard to states that are suffering with or suffering from a homeless crisis you know Oregon's always close to the top but number one is a lot of the time Hawaii which is where you came from so where are the whole I mean times I've been to Hawaii I I've seen some home nothing like this I've seen some homeless because they're good at hiding it yeah where are these people why and I Waianae on the west side of the island, so Eva Beach, uh, Waianae coastline. Once you pass Koalina, which is where the this double is tree. No, Oahu. Oahu. So on Oahu, um, if people aren't familiar with Hawaii's drug ep- epidemic, it's a lot mm-hmm. of meth. Okay. Meth is the biggest one. They're starting Has to get hit with fentanyl. Hit okay. Starting, just starting. But meth is the biggest one. And it has, oh my God, it's had such devastating uh, effects on the islands, all of them. Big Island especially. A lot of manufacturing goes on there. 
So manufacturing, manufacturing. Goes a lot of the meth is not uh, imported there. Marijuana and stuff is like marijuana mushrooms are imported to Hawaii, but a lot of the meth is manufactured within that the island. So interesting because it seems like you should be, they could just grow. I mean, you can grow anything there. It seems like they would just grow their <laughs> marijuana, although the DEA must be onto that and looking around for it. Right, right. Whereas meth, what, they can do it in a warehouse or in a VW van or something? Well, there's islands that have cheap land. Um, there's a lot of farmland that people um, are able to get to. I mean, and it doesn't raise as much suspicion as, say, the marijuana, like you said. But it's... We've, so we've had some really ugly stories. Like we had, um, we had a mother who nursed her child while using meth, and as you can imagine, the the child had OD'd and passed. Now, if you want to address why the mom used her breast milk, it was because she was being cheap. It's the same reason that you see people living on the streets, not living on the streets, and not paying rent because they don't have the ability to they're trying to cut their cost so that they can buy money they can have money to buy the drugs and this mother decided to use her breast milk instead of buying breast milk um and her baby passed another incident um a child i think he was two or three had gone wandering um, from his mother's home or the mother and the father were both on drugs and a neighbor who was high on meth uh, picked the child up, took the child to an overpass, and dropped the child. This happened in um, around the Manoa area of Oahu. I mean, and Manoa is a very nice, old, established neighborhood that's beautiful. That's, again, you're talking about million-dollar homes. But you're also talking about, see, the difference between Oregon and Hawaii is the money. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and so I was just, you know, when I when I moved back, it's taken me a minute to catch up on the politics here. Um, Hawaii doesn't have a lot of money. And something that uh, kind of happens, it doesn't matter if it's... Uh, you mean the government doesn't? They, they don't have... They, so they're not... Their counties aren't raking in the billions that ours are? No. Hardly. We encouraged... So here's the thing. We encouraged... Well, first, let me start back to where I, I was a student at the University of Hawaii um, system, and I was a student caucus representative. And part of my student um, duties was to go and talk to legislators on um, during lobbying season about increases to minimum wage, um, legalizing uh, marijuana, um, different things, many for mental health on all of our campuses because we, we don't have that, you know. So I got to go in and talk to the legislators about how Oregon was able to legalize marijuana with these guidelines of that, you know, the money that's taxed goes towards, you know, public programs, which I thought was a wonderful idea. I mean, Portland and Oregon have really great ideas and these really great things that they are doing but they're not it's like you're doing great on some things but the major things are like outshining those oh we can't run a program to save our lives and also we there's we don't have a voter populace and I, i think this is true probably in most of the u.s because it just takes so darn long to get like you and i were talking ahead of time about how 
we had to educate ourselves and spend hours and hours and hours learning why is there dysfunction here and how do we complain about that dysfunction. And learning about the dysfunction takes its own amount of bizarre, bizarrely long time. And then learning how to complain about it takes almost the same amount of time because it's this Byzantine system of websites and... You, you know, if you're going to complain about a campsite in the city of Portland, we were just talking about this, you have to register with the city to do right, so. So if there's right. any emergent need to complain about this that's like bordering on a 911 call, yeah. it takes you an extra 20 minutes to get registered with them. And all you're going to get is an automated reply. Right. You're not. Right. That's right. And we, and as we've also confirmed is anybody who who has tried to do this knows and who's reached out to either a Multnomah County commissioner or a city commissioner knows because their staff sometimes, depending on the one that you reach out to, will get back to you. They will say, oh, we've had like about 25 complaints about this particular camp. But, we, you know, people have been out there, but we just don't see the need to clear it just yet. Or they make you sound like you're the first person that's complained about it. Right. Which maybe you are because who has the time to sit there and find all the websites and register and figure it out and learn, especially if you're out in Lentz or something and you're working your three jobs or you don't speak English. I mean, this is just, I mean, those are the people that I think are frankly the most forgotten and the most put upon because they just don't have the time or the resources to figure that out. I'm glad you brought that up. Because people need to know that my area between the Still Bridge and the Broadway Bridge, let me talk about my um, community there. We've got McCormick Condominiums, which has 300 plus units. On average, we have about two to three people living in each of them. Across the street from us, we've got Levon Housing. That's a low-income housing unit that is housing probably about five to 700 people. Wow. And these are people that are disabled. These are people that are coming in off the streets after doing the work of getting clean and getting themselves through the the process into permanent housing. These are mothers with children who are struggling. Um, Vulnerable older people, you know, mentally or developmentally handicapped people, I mean, this is what low-income housing That's right. is. And then next door to that, we've got the yards, which also has um, a number of units that are also for being used for public housing. And so that's our resident. Those are our residents. And then um, underneath the Broadway Bridge, we've got the, um, what is that? The Mission Project, which is a homeless... Uh, it's a homeless camp that's um, through a nonprofit. So I guess it would be like somewhat of a safe rest village, but it's not. They but have it's like, through a nonprofit. Right. And I think that they maybe house up to maybe 15, 20 people. And so the assumption with that is that it's zero barrier. Yeah. And that's, and that's a problem because they sit out in front of there and they drink. We've had a number... Of they so the nonprofits. I don't know if other people have noticed this, but a number of the nonprofits that provide services to people living on the streets, where are they allowing people to camp in front of their services? They don't turn these camps in. They do nothing to try to minimize the damage or the 
you know, uh, impact to the rest of the neighborhood, which is disappointing because they're asking us to have compassion for their clients. But the thing is, is where is your compassion for the people in recovery that are living in Levon housing that have to walk through these people smoking fentanyl? Where's the compassion for the mother with a stroller trying to get her baby and her groceries home to the yards? What about the elderly couple that got beat up and the nose broken on my on my property? I mean, this isn't fair to just say, well, you know, we're providing services and you should have compassion. At, we have lots of compassion. We've done our part, especially in this area. We even house, which is the biggest point of contention right now, is the city's homeless storage container, which sits right next to our condos and that is where this camp has centered around now what, the, what is the city's homeless storage container for people who who don't know what that reference means so the city has provided the people that live on the streets with a storage container that is very large and it sits right underneath the steel bridge. Where it's they can store their stuff? Where they can store their stuff. With so a locker system or something? No, it's not even a locker system. It's literally a plastic bag of whatever belongings they want to check in. And they, and they can access it whenever they want? From the hours of, I'd say, like maybe 7 in the morning till about 5 at night. Now, here's the thing, though. Do you know what they're doing when they're checking their items in? So the, the idea, and this is what the nonprofits and the advocates for them will tell you, they're supposed to be using this because they have jobs. They have places to go. And so we <laughs> need to make sure that they have some place to clean up and store their stuff so they can find a job and participate in society. So they have showers and things too, or bathrooms? or There's two bathrooms and a sink on the outside that's open 24 hours, but the storage area is only open from like 7 uh, in the morning till about, I would say about five or six in the evening. But they're not storing their stuff to go and do jobs or go to school well, yeah. or get Pe anything. People who have jobs or are going to school don't live in tents on the sidewalk. Or come onto your property and commit crimes during the day while people are at work. Right. And that's so right. that's what we're finding is that they're putting their stuff in the storage unit and then they're coming onto our property. They're doing fentanyl, and just kind of using their—they're using this this storage container to essentially hold their most important items so that they can lollygag around the city and basically just wreak havoc on everyone else. Um, because it's—is it just to clarify? Because mm -hmm. there are people out there who say. This is a rent crisis. This no. is a housing crisis. <laughs> no. And I think what we need to make this distinction, Jesse Burke did a really good job when she came on this show of making this distinction. But when we talk about homeless people, between the unsheltered homeless and the sheltered homeless, which could include, sheltered could include a literal shelter, a car um, that runs and is semi-functional, mm -hmm. a a, or an RV that runs in a semi-functional couch surfing. Right. Um, living with your parents, living right. with grandparents, living with some kind of family member, friend, ag again, some variation of couch surfing. Or maybe you just, you've never left home, but you're considered homeless because you're 28 years old and you can't afford a house, and you'd, you would be counted as homeless. Right. Um, so she 
says we have got to start making this distinction between that portion of our homeless population mm-hmm. that is legitimately homeless but yeah. sheltered as opposed to our unsheltered homeless population which would be these bodies that you can see if you come to Portland. You don't even have to come downtown, as Lee and I talked about. You could go to Laurelhurst neighborhood, which is a neighborhood filled with million-dollar-plus homes, and just walk around there and see them there on the outskirts of Laurelhurst Park. These are people splayed out on the sidewalks who are suffering from end-stage drug addiction, severe, severe mental illness crises, untreated, unmedicated people that are they're in the middle of their own traumatic universe absolutely and so i think people don't understand when we talk about the homeless in general most of us are talking about these people that are visible on the streets and when we talk about how they are when people like Aaliyah talk about how her neighborhood or her condominium residents are being terrorized by this population she's not talking about Uh, somebody who's two paychecks away from a beautiful townhouse in Bethany. Mm -hmm. She's talking about the unsheltered homeless population, which unfortunately happens to be people that we cannot, because of our politics, because of the ACLU, because of our laws, Mm -hmm. we cannot compel or will not compel into into mental health treatment or into rehab. You're asking an active drug user to make a, a, a logical decision that they're not going to make. It's like asking a child, do you want to have ice cream for dinner? Of course they're going to say yes. But somebody has to be the adult in the room and say, listen, you can have the ice cream, and in this case, services, if you agree to go to treatment. Now, I know that this is a hard pill for some people to swallow, but if you're a part of the welfare program and you're not disabled, you're required to participate in a jobs program. And I don't think that getting services through the government um, should be any different necessarily because we're talking about fentanyl. We're talking about Heroin. We're talking about meth. We're not talking about marijuana and alcohol. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect people that are accepting existence from the state to participate in drug rehab uh, meetings, narcotics anonymous meetings. I, I don't understand why the city has not partnered up with alcoholics and drug addicts anonymous um, groups that have been doing this for years and years and years. It's like we have completely strayed from what specialists and interventionists have been teaching families that are dealing with a loved one who's suffering from addiction for years and with success. You know, there's no legitimate drug counselors that's going to tell you that what we're doing is the right thing. Nobody's going to tell their loved one who has an addict for a a family member, oh, give them tinfoil, give them a crack pipe, just go on ahead and let them stay in your house and keep robbing you, beating you up, sexually assaulting you. Let them keep doing these things because you got to have compassion. You got to have compassion. Well, and I'm not saying there aren't, I'm, there may be some addict out there who doesn't do those things. Right. I've never met one. I mean, my sister's a homeless opioid addict. She terrorized my family for years. I'm convinced that she drove my parents to an early death. 
I she stole my mother's cancer medication. She yeah. she robbed them blind. Yeah. I mean, they lost their house. I they lost everything in their bank accounts. She drained them. She she would they're smart. I mean, these people yeah. are very resourceful people absolutely. because they absolutely feel like they need these drugs and their minds and their bodies have been hijacked and are screaming that they need these drugs and they will they won't memorize pin numbers. They will I mean somehow Amazing. they will figure this out. They're like from the CIA or something. Girl, crackheads are crafty. Okay? <laughs> they are crafty and you know, you brought it back to another point that what happened to your family, it's the same thing that's happening to us as a society by what we are seeing our government do here in Portland. Now, we have been able to the point that we are depleting resources. We are ignoring other problems that we have and that we have to address. All of our focus is now on the problem child in society, which is the addicts living on the streets. They have a different set of rules than the rest of us. My property tax is $450 a month. Okay? I shouldn't have to cry, beg, any of that to ask the city to make my neighborhood safe by removing an illegal, unsanctioned camp that is on their property. If they're holding property owners that have abandoned buildings or have allowed squatters to overtake their property, the city is giving people bills. The city is giving notices to them and stuff. But why isn't the city holding itself to the same standard that it's holding the taxpaying residents and allowing this? This isn't safe. It's a liability. I mean, we're getting sued. We just got sued by the disability group. Right, but uh, by the disabled people who sued to get the sidewalks cleared for access to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah, and how's right. that worked out? Because I see a lot of car- <laughs> I see a lot of it hasn't. No, it has. There's there's I don't I don't know when compliance is supposed to begin, but I haven't seen any. There's there there is not. No, they, they it's it's you keep moving the you keep moving the date you keep moving the goal line, and see again. Being somebody who was raised in the system, raised in these group homes, you get to learn all these. God, me and my friend were talking about the different dynamics of like dysfunctional families. And so we went to a lot of groups when we were growing up and counseling about our dysfunctional families and all this, especially in Al-Anon. Al-Anon Which is a, is a great resource and right. underutilized. Yeah, and our city should go to a meeting. Yes. Every <laughs> single commissioner, city and county, and our governor, you all need to go to an Al-Anon meeting because you're right now you are being held hostage yeah. by drug addicts. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. How hard is it, though, to just... Why Why are we not seeing... We're seeing nonprofits that are making millions, right? Right. Why are we not seeing that same offer to Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous? And those are free. Those are free. If I was an addict uh, and I was a part of one of those programs, see, you have to be a part of the program to start a meeting. So I guess maybe if I were to lie and say I'm an addict and just go start so a meeting, you, you know. But you could start a Al-Anon meeting, could you not? Because yes. you have a history yes. of addiction in your family. Right. Not only I'm in the same boat as you, I have a younger sibling that is addicted to drugs and our family has taken a very hard stance against it too. Um, we don't accept phone calls. 
He's yeah, not allowed either. to know where yeah. I live. Right. He's not allowed at any of our houses, and we don't give him anything. He has public resources. Um, my stepmother is taking care of his son because not only is my brother an addict, but his partner, who he had a child with, she's an addict too, and just left um, my nephew with somebody and abandoned him. So there's a lot of victims that come from this situation, and so it's not just... I. It's easy for people to just pass by somebody who looks feeble and hungry and just say, oh, well, look at this poor person. You don't know that person's story. Some of them have horrible stories. Some of them don't. Some of them do horrible things, and some of them don't. But the chances are that this person is going to rob you. They're going to be erratic and violent. They are going to lie to you, and they're going to do whatever they have to to get whatever they want in order for them to maintain their drug supply. Yeah, because they have a very serious disease. And it just seems to me that these people that are dismissing people on the streets as our quote-unquote houseless neighbors don't have any kind of understanding of drug and serious drug addiction, hard drug addiction. The outreach units that have been sent to my um, to our to our camp in our area, uh, they have been offering beds to people. There's they no takers. Beds. They don't. Yeah, no. They don't want a bed. No, because that means that you're going to have to get clean. Listen, we're not talking about mothers and children staying in my neighborhood. If it was mother domestic domestically abused mothers with their children staying in our neighborhood, honey, we would be down there inviting them to our house, making pancakes. Of course you would. You know, offering to babysit, doing whatever it was that we could do to help them. But that's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with up to 50 people or more that are actively using illicit drugs in our neighborhood that are living there illegally without any consequences. And I really think that there's no attention paid. Unfortunately, there there is zero attention. It, it seems to me that the people running the city and the county, A, have no experience with drug addiction. No. Or, or if they do, they, they're not tapping into it. Um, and they're not in touch with that portion of their life or their family members' lives. Number one. Number two, mental illness as well. Mental, severe. And I'm talking severe. I'm not talking, um, you know, your bipolar uncle that's a hedge fund manager. I'm talking about, you know, who's medicated. I'm talking about severe, like schizophrenia, unmedicated, severe bipolar disorder. Clusters. You're also talking about people with severe clusters of mental health issues. So you've got people that have paranoid schizophrenia along with bipolar disorder, attention deficit disorder, and severe depression. Severe depression. Can't move. We see that all the time, too. We've had three people jump off of the steel bridge. And the thing is, is so where my window is, I've seen people jump off. My neighbors, thankfully, saw the last person jump because they're the only ones that called anybody. They said people just kept walking like, you know, well, it's just another day. And it's not. Like, these people need help. And it's hard to understand how the city's okay with just watching these people attempt to kill themselves because their lives have become so unmanageable and just just filled with it's just it's just they become such at a low point that they rather 
commit suicide than uh, because they're, they're at a loss. I mean, you see how the city has handled this 110. We never legalized for you to be able to smoke fentanyl and do these things out in public. It might have decriminalized small, uh, you know, possession amounts, but nobody said, hey, you know, you can smoke it out in the open, but yeah, that's no, what's been happening. Yeah, public intoxication is allegedly still illegal, but we don't enforce it. And where were the treatment centers? And why do we have to have fancy treatment centers? This is something that the city leaders should have had in place. So listen, if this passes, exactly right. we need to get these large tents up now with military servicemen across in, in, the, in other countries stay in large tents. It's not unreasonable to think that the people that are suffering from addiction and need to be taken off of the streets in order to make things safer for everybody, including themselves, they needed to make some great big um, tents with beds in them and round-the-clock meetings at least to hold people in until they are able to get them into a long-term treatment center. Detox. Something. It doesn't need to be a tiny house with a little, uh, what is that they're making? An air conditioning unit. Yeah. Do you know how expensive that is? I do. And the other thing that I think it's important to point out is there is, I have noticed, a growing amount of animosity because... Until recently, and you know, chalk it up to—I chalk it up to climate change. You could talk, chalk it up to whatever. I mean, I'm no scientist, but until recently, Portland did not get very hot. If you grew up here, you remember when you know the hottest day we would have would be maybe we'd have one 90 degree day and you'd use it to go to the movies who had an air conditioner none of us <laughs> grew up with air conditioning none of us no. there I, I don't even remember my rich friends have quote-unquote rich right. having air conditioning and they're you know when i think about it not not necessarily so but rich to me you know with a, a two-story yeah. house or something i don't remember them having an air conditioning unit and to this day, I know hardworking people. Um, I'm friends with some of them, and they don't have air conditioning. And they notice that some of these tiny home villages, these safe rest villages that the city is putting in, are popping up with each one having air conditioning units. And my friend the other day said, I am just outraged. I work two jobs. My husband Mm -hmm. works all day long in the construction industry. We do not have, we we have a daughter. We don't have air conditioning. And, And she was just appalled that these these we have this segment of our population whom everything is given 5%. and nothing is required. Or is it is it six percent? Six percent of our population. I mean, it's a it's a it's, it's a, a very small. It's a small amount, right. but it's bizarrely large for our population, which is like what six hundred thousand or something. And then right. it, we have like at least six thousand homeless people, and I think that's an undercount. Yeah, it, it, and there's you more know, every day. It's it's frivolous spending. It's frivolous spending that shouldn't be happening. It's just like when they spent million when Ted Willer spent millions on on REI tents. I mean, that's a curious thing, you know. Who Say did, more about that. I didn't know this. So I believe they were REI tents. I could be wrong with the brand, but Ted Wheeler was found during the lawsuit against the city from the disability group that the city had spent millions on tents see i knew about the county i didn't know or about the county the i'm sorry oh, okay so this this would be probably under deborah kafori was it well it was either under kafori or jessica vega peterson because those are the two chairs and they have all the control i'm like let me google it 
Yeah. But yeah, well, I, I do know that. But you know about the tent. And they're still, bu- they're still purchasing them and handing them out. Because the lawsuit wasn't surprised. against the county. It was just against the city. And so the city agreed to do various things, but the counties never agreed to do anything. And in fact, um, the lawyer for the disabled people, John DiLorenzo, was trying to pressure the city to sue the county because apparently there's this contract between the city and the county wherein this, it, it even gives the city the ability to sue the county and they would never do it. They just wouldn't press the trigger button on that and they wanted John to do it. And he said, I can't. The city is in charge of sidewalks. I'm going to get kicked out of court. I can't sue the county. Sue them for what? Like, give me a viable avenue. You have a viable avenue. Just you, through this contracted agreement with the county, go ahead and sue. You have a reason to sue the county. I don't. Bring them on in here. They never brought them on in. And in the course of discovery, the city was blaming the county, but never never sued the county. But they were blaming them and saying, well, the county's handing out all these tents and tarps. And was providing John and the disabled plaintiffs with all of these documents that Tiana Tozer has reviewed. And she worked in like a war zone doing the analysis and documentation. She was the lead disabled plaintiff. She's also a Paralympian. She's a very impressive person. She was perfect as this, as a lead plaintiff. She's got, you know, all of the optics are, are there and, and she could not traverse the city or the sidewalks. And she lives within, you know, city boundaries of course, and just is not able to use it because she's a disabled person. But anyway, she has been through all this and she said she has seen better record keeping in war zones. And she has said what will happen is people are just coming, Coming in, and like you said, it's REI style. It's very expensive. So if you're if you're looking around, you're like, where are all these expensive tents coming from? They must be robbing people. Well, that's probably part of it. But I another, I mean, let's not discount that possibility. Yeah, REI is gone. REI is gone. Yeah, let's not discount the possibility that they're they breaking into REI, right? Yeah. That they're breaking into REI and stealing it. That they're stealing it from homeowners' garages or whatever, or, or, or cars. I'm sure all of that is occurring. But what we know is occurring, what we know for sure, what we have documented occurring, what various news outlets have, have reported on, and I'll link to this in the show notes, is that the county was handing out tents and tarps. Now, street response in the city was also handing out tents and tarps. Rene Gonzalez put a stop to that because his bureau was Thank fire. God. Thank God for him. His his bureau is fire, and Portland Street Response falls for whatever for whatever bizarre reason under the fire department. So um, I think because Joanne started it, and because Joanne Hardesty, the former commissioner, that was her bureau was fire, and my my guess is. That's why it's under fire. So she had some control of her baby project, which was Portland Street Response. Now it's under the purview of her successor, Renee Gonzalez, who fortunately, um, I would say, in my opinion, uh, won the election against her. And he put a stop to that because the fire chief, uh, EMS services, all all these people were the burn. uh, Nika Shragi, who's the lead burn unit doctor of the only trauma hospital that we have in the state of Oregon that is able to treat burn unit patients was saying, look, my burn beds, I don't have a lot, and they're filled with homeless people. Where is this coming from? It was coming from fires within these tents, and we were hearing about it over and over. When the firefighters came in here, when their union came in here, they talked incessantly about how their job really doesn't consist of saving children from burning homes or elderly people from burning condos. It consists of you know, going, putting out tent fires and propane fires from homeless encampments. 
So Renee put a stop to that. But the county, my understanding, is continuing to hand this stuff out to this day. Well, if they're handing out crack pipes and tinfoil and straws, are we surprised? And the thing is, is it's taxpayers' money that's paying for this. What I'm hoping for is that this enrages all of you. This should enrage everybody that lives in Portland enough to show up. I know that it's hard to show up because, you know, the cost of living has risen so high here. And then... You know, you've got the added uh, issue with public transportation and you've got the other issue of trying to just even struggle your way through the people that you're seeing on the streets that either are harassing you or anything else. But know this, that if you don't show up and you're not heard, that nothing's going to change. And when I say that we need to be heard, I mean that we need to start coming at the city and county and our uh, commissioners, all of our city leaders, including at Tina Kotek, they need to know that our city leaders are inactive right now when it comes to public safety. We should not have to wait before a woman gets raped. We shouldn't have to wait for an elderly couple to be murdered. We shouldn't have to wait for another body to show up on my uh, neighbor's patio. Like right. these are you things were saying that, need that to your neighbors now. found a dead body on their patio. Right. Right. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and you go on about your day and then there's somebody who thought your patio looked like an inviting place to sit and do drugs and they died. These people have not been back to any of our uh, neighborhood get togethers. Um, They have been very silent. This is another couple who I've asked to come forward to talk about their situation, but they don't want to. And I think that what it is, is for me, somebody like me who's used to trauma, it's easy for me to start talking about these things and just be like, well, hey, you know, this is what's happening. It might sound outrageous, but you need to know this, right? But for people that have never experienced trauma that's been so intense like this, well, like the, trauma, like the trauma you've experienced. Right, right. It's shocking to have these things happen out of the blue when you've had a pretty normal life and you haven't had a dead body show up on your porch before. It's alarming. These people need to go to counseling. Frankly, the city owes a lot of people a lot of free therapy as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Susan you don't Griffin, just... Susan who's been in here a couple times and who lives in... Um, Section Eight housing agrees mm. with you. I, she was has been absolutely terrorized by living downtown. Yeah. Absolutely agrees with you and needs it. All, all these people need it. All these people need mental health treatment. I had to start going. So, like I said, I have PTSD. When I moved here, I moved here with base not a clean bill of health, but I was in a place of like independence and stuff, right? Um, able to go to school, as I said, I was a very big part of the UH system, um, doing things. But then after moving here, I've had a lot of that taken away from me and had to go back into therapy because the incidents that I was experiencing, it's all new trauma. I've been threatened with a knife twice. Um, I just recently uh, attended the man that was arrested for the last knife incident with me his uh, plea hearing where he pled guilty to unlawful use of a weapon um, 
I mean, another guy on the max threatened me. I mean, these things, these things wear on you. And as much as I make jokes or if you look at my Instagram, I might add music to things to like lighten the mood of things. But it's just like kind of like my way of coping. But it's also caused me great anxiety, um, horrible, horrible nightmares. I mean, you don't walk through a camp on a regular basis getting you know, yelled the most vulgar sexual things and having men follow you home, showing up on your doorstep. Men are showing up on your doorstep? Not just my doorstep, but my neighbors too, other neighbors. One of my neighbors, Hannah, and I hope she doesn't mind that I used her name. Well, I won't use, use her, her last name. name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she was, she, she's, uh, she works for city and county and she takes the max, uh, blue red line too, and has to walk through this area. She had one man walking behind her and then he whistled and two men came up out of the blue in front of her. So she said she immediately noticed this and she ducked out and went into the nearest building. And then waited for a while and then took another another route home. And we tell you, none of the routes to our house are safe. <laughs> this is the safest route, which is just, you know, people are like, well, why do you guys use this route? Believe it or not, it's the safest route because our other route is that back street in Old Town Chinatown. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, no. by the, On the backside of the NIWA building, the NWEA building. Yeah. I mean, it's it's scary. I've had I've had several men tell me that they're going to sexually assault me. I've called the police multiple times. One of them even acted out what he was going to do to me on the pole across the street. I mean, and there we don't our our property is pretty open, and these incidents are happening during the day, so. It's not one of those things that only happens at night because I think we all kind of think the boogeyman only comes out at night and that's just not true, you know? I don't feel comfortable leaving my house some days. Some days I'm so terrified that I don't leave my house for days at a time because if an incident happens that's serious enough, it takes me about that long to regroup and that's somebody who's been through the counseling who's been through trauma so that's why I'm saying I do understand people that are having a hard time coping after seeing some of these things because they're not used to seeing them I'm struggling and I highly doubt that you know other people around me aren't struggling too with their own mental health and for these advocates to say that you know residents of Portland aren't having enough compassion where is your compassion where, is your, where, where are these advocates for the people living on the streets doing and the crime drugs? Victims. Yeah, where's the where's the the com- compassion for them? Where's the compassion for my elderly neighbors who got beat up and the wife's nose got broken? Where's the compassion for them? Shouldn't they be able to live in their neighborhood without being in fear? What about the people again? I can't stress this enough. Where is the support for the people that have gotten themselves off the street, did the work, and now they've gotten into public housing? housing and the area that their public housing is is riddled with active drug users that are being allowed to still conduct themselves as is you know that's not fair 
You want them to stay off the streets. How are they going to stay off the streets when relapsing is an all-day, everyday issue for them, and now they've got to walk through clouds of fentanyl smoke and just ignore it because that's their only way to get to the public transportation. And hordes of drug dealers. Oh, the drug dealers love our area. They park. So what happens is our, our property has an open lot. We have our main entrance is open. So drug dealers... And people that are still buying drugs, they'll come into our lot, park their cars, and get out and then walk down to the camp. And then they'll come back, and sometimes they're high. Sometimes they're barely, um, they're barely able to keep themselves awake long enough to, uh, to get themselves out. I've even seen people come back from the camp, get in their car, and go park directly across the street and fall asleep. I mean, my way, I've, my my unit pretty much looks uh, at all of. I have a view of the Levon housing, the yards, apartments, um, the Mini Mart, and McCormick on McCormick property, and then my other windows face the steel bridge and the Union Station uh, train track that's um, underneath the uh, steel bridge there. So I have a pretty good view of everything. And I'm telling you, the things that I see on a regular basis are just, it's just appalling. Well, and with your history... Talk about some of the, with your, with your history of sexual trauma and rape, talk about some of the things that you've seen that have been difficult for you in regard to that, not only that history, but your PTSD, your diagnosis. Yeah. Um, hmm. <sighs> Hold on. Okay. Um, so a little bit about me is, um, when I was, when I was, well, I was sexually abused as a child, but um, I was traumatized further at 19 years old when me and my children, I had I had moved us to an area called the Holy Redeemer area. Uh, somebody broke into our. Is this Portland? Portland, yeah. This is uh, Portland around the Holy Redeemer school area, a nice area at the time, and a stranger broke into our home. And my children were on the floor asleep, and I was on the couch. We had been watching movies, and uh, I got snatched up off of my couch and was choked. And I woke up in my bedroom with my door closed, and I could hear my children screaming on the other side of the door. And uh, I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't see very well. I was... I. It, it it was it was just an unreal situation. Uh, I was naked from the waist down. I was covered in urine. Uh, it it was it was pretty bad. Um, I was able to um, crawl to the door and get it open and get myself out of my apartment to uh, get help from my neighbors. I spent a day in the hospital, and uh, shortly after that, I got married and I moved. I mean, I didn't even have money to um, 
move myself from this apartment that this violent act had happened, you know. I didn't have the money to move, and so I had to return from the hospital. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's, like, it's just so outrageous. It's, like, you know. You're laughing they, through the pain. Yeah, they give you a bag of, uh, they give you a, a, it's like a rape, a rape bag. It has, like, some sweats in it some underclothes basically because they had to take what clothes I had on which was just a shirt uh did they ever find this guy they did my mom as I said worked for the circuit courts luckily DNA and other stuff connected him so I never had to see this person but this really impacted my life and this was right of course it did it just devastating um of course it did so you know, uh, that happened. Oh my God, Aaliyah, I am so sorry. And it's like, you can't get away from this because now, you know, you, now I get to see it all the time. Yeah. You, you have purchased what you thought was this beautiful condo. Yeah. This was supposed to be my happy place. And tell us about what, what you're seeing. So I moved away from Portland after that and just, you know, didn't really want to come back. So when my daughter wanted me to come here and stuff, I was like, okay. And that was to help with your grandchildren. Right. So I wasn't anticipating what was going to happen with this camp. But just in this last, aside from the men following um, me home and threatening to sexually assault me, recently there is a young girl and she cannot be more than 25, 26 years old. She's got brown hair that comes to her shoulders. She's a white woman. Um, she has one arm that looks like it's handicapped. It was a, a defect, a birth defect. We talked earlier about how I had to call the police because a woman was in the dirt and... Um, that's her. And uh, when I called the police and stuff, I mean, and I, she was nude, right? She started off just topless initially when I saw her. And that was when I called the police because I was like, there is a woman down here in danger. And they said they were going to send somebody. The police officer came and he had somebody in his car riding along with him as a woman. By the time they had gotten there, this young girl had completely taken off all of her clothes and was laying on her back in the dirt with her legs open. Now, anybody that is familiar with somebody that's been sexually assaulted, um, you get familiar with certain things that people do. And when people are doing things that this woman was doing, which was essentially, um, she's holding her legs up in the air and being raunchy in the dirt. This is not normal behavior for anybody. Let's make that extremely clear. This is not normal behavior for anybody. This woman has clearly been sexually violated. And I called police. They show up. She's in the dirt. Her legs are up and open. The police officer says there's nothing he can do but to call street response. And he left. I begged him to stay. I called 911 again because I was like, the police just left. And by this time, there are men that are walking by this woman and they're grabbing her breasts. 
And so did 911 say they were going to dispatch? Because this is an active sexual assault that you're witnessing while you're calling the second time. They said all they could do was send the police officer and the police officer had already left. Even though at this point she's being victimized by numerous other men? Do you want to file do you do you want to file a police report, ma'am? Like what, online? What are they talking about? And and let's let me let you know about filing a police report online. You can't Right, you can't do that for active assault. No. So what are they talking about? File a police report. What are they They're even talking asking, about? Yeah, they. It's there's asking you to do something that you are not even allowed to do. That's the thing is that the things that you're told by all these different city and county ordin or entities, workers, it's just, yeah. Nobody's nobody's on the same page. And you don't know if Street Response ever. Because we were talking about this off air. You don't know if Street Response ever showed up because you had to go about your life and go do something. Right. During the time that this was going, because I tried to stay down there as long as I could and wait for street response to get there. But it wasn't just the men that grabbed her breasts. There's also a man who appeared to be her pimp who was calling her by her name and was trying to get her into his car. Now, this morning, so, so, She's being so. I just want to make this clear. She's being trafficked out of this camp because you you had seen her before. Well, I saw her. I I've seen her in the neighborhood and stuff, but then I saw her again today. Just even today. Today she's walking around with no pants on, and she has what appears to be blood on her backside, and she has no socks, no shoes. Um. You don't look at these things, and you're not unfazed. These things are happening. Uh, you feel really helpless. Um, I did call police again today, and I told them that I saw her, and it appeared that she may have been sexually assaulted, but the reality is is that if the police pull over... And if they ask her if she wants any help, if she says no, there's absolutely nothing that they can do, including call street response. Yeah, They're, I think that's right. Unless they can, unless a crime is literally being committed, then if a guy's, you know, grabbing her breast and she appears right, but then, otherwise, her, they're gonna they're gonna um, tell you if there's another crime that's more important happening at the time, like a shooting or anything else. Um, they're not going to come to that one right then. And that's the situation that's happened with me. I've been spat on. I've had, uh, I've had, I can't even tell you how many times these men have told me they're going to kill me. Somebody said they're going to kill my dog. Um, they're going to rape me. And, you know, when you see that this is actually somebody, this young girl is, is living this life, that's somebody's baby. And so when people are saying that, like Carmen uh, Rubio, I have such issue with Carmen Rubio. She was the one commissioner that was uh, advocating for people to be allowed to continue to live in these tent encampments. And the thing is, is if you care about people 
You don't want to see them living like this. Nobody should be okay with watching this woman live like this. And and no, I mean, if we if we all know that these people are talking about these traumatic experiences that they've encountered living on the streets, you're seeing it. I'm seeing it. Uh, I'm bothered. And I don't think our commissioners come down here enough. I've offered to make food for them and invite them to my house and take them on a field trip. I'd be happy to take them through there so that they can get an idea as to what it's like. Uh, none of them have taken me up on this, of course, but, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know what else to do right now. And the thought of Dan Ryan uh, and his supporters moving uh, another homeless service into our area is just going to devastate us and even further than, than our neighborhood already is. And Dan Dan Ryan is a sitting city commissioner who has been implementing these quote unquote safe rest villages throughout neighborhoods within the city. And in fact, there was a telephone call and I'll link to the Willamette Week article because I think it's very powerful and it speaks volumes. There was a telephone call between Commissioner, uh, excuse me, it wasn't Commissioner Ryan, it was Sam Adams at the time. And he was selling uh, the law firms in town on these safe rest villages, uh, or attempting to. They didn't buy it, but he was attempting to sell them on these safe rest villages because they were complaining that post-COVID, they couldn't get people back to work, and they were saying it is not because of COVID. It is because of the safety issues throughout downtown. People do not want to come back and work downtown and risk being assaulted or robbed or having their cars broken into. They just, they're sick of it. They don't want to step over feces or step on a needle or, or like you've been talking about, Aaliyah, they don't want to watch people in deep, deep, serious trauma living out their trauma all over the streets because that's what you see throughout Portland. You don't even have to come downtown to see it, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of these staff don't live in Portland. The staff at law firms, a lot of them are commuting all the way from places like Salem because Portland is is expensive. And so they said that this is why they're not coming back. And Sam Adams said, well, you know, we're going to do these, uh, we're going to get them out of downtown. And the, the question was, well, what are, where, what is it? Is Please tell me. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning how this went. It does, the article didn't say that they said this, but I'm envisioning it's, you know, please tell me it's like detox or rehab or some sort of version of what Sharon Myron was talking about the last time she was on this show when she was talking about purchasing the Crown Plaza for Mm -hmm. some kind of triage for these people with professionals. Absolutely. No, that wasn't it. It was this safe rest village concept where these people would be sprinkled throughout neighborhoods and within neighborhoods filled with working families and children and elderly people and people just trying to go about their business. And there was there is no discussion about who we're putting into these mm-hmm. villages or, or no recognition that these are all... these the, Even the ordinance itself for these safe rest villages calls the people that they're referring to the villages high-impact homeless. 
Absolutely. And they go through all of the bullet points of who a high impact, and I'll link to it in the show notes, who is a high impact homeless person? They're people engaged in visible drug use. They're people engaged in, they're sur- are surrounded by hazardous waste. They're people who have committed crimes. Violent crimes. Violent crimes. There's no screening Mm-mm. for sex offenders. And and they, 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 you know, if you go to a city council meeting, you'll hear, hear Dan Ryan talking about um, good neighbor agreements. They're not and, a legally binding contract. And we found that with the mission that's underneath the um, Broadway Bridge that we are currently battling about having Talk this about that. Say, so that, um, the, uh, what is it called? The mission that's underneath the still or the the Broadway Bridge, they have a contract or th- these weird contracts that are being thrown around as the good neighbor agreement. So what we have found is that the good neighbor agreement is not a legally binding contract of any sort. There's no um, there's no accountability. There's no repercussions. Oh, there's definitely no there's accountability. And then what would the repercussion be? I mean, the same. Right. It's just you showing up to a city council meeting complaining and and Dan Ryan saying he's taking you seriously. I mean, I've heard him do this a billion times. He'll say, I'm taking you seriously. Thank you so much for your testimony today. We really want to make sure these good neighbors agree- good neighbor agreements are enforced. My staff will be in touch. Thank you so much. Exactly. And that's it. And the thing is, is what I, listen, bringing a group of active drug users to anybody's neighborhood has been seen to be a bad or a good thing. It has never been a good thing to bring a group of active drug users to any residential area. Now, something that happens with um, youth offenders, like, you know, teenagers that get in trouble with the law, we generally send them out to the outskirts of Oregon to areas that are, are you, you know. Are you talking about like McLaren? Yeah, the, right. the juvenile prison? Right, right. And it's out in a in It's a in more, the middle of nowhere. Exactly. Just like Snake River, where our one of our main prisons are, is. It's out in the, because I've got a family member who's committed some very, not family, family member, and married into, um, although I also have family members who've committed very serious crimes, but this one is a, unfortunately, by, by ex-marriage, out, out in Snake River. And I, I, I know, you know, his sons are like my third cousins. They visit him out there. And it's in the middle of nowhere in eastern Oregon, where it should be. Absolutely. I mean, we do have some land, particularly on the east side of this state of Oregon, that is relatively uninhabited, where we can put all sorts of people. And, and we refuse not affect, to use it. Right. And they're not going to affect, you know, a, a neighborhood, like you said, that's just living its life. Now, if we're doing this with youth, why are we not doing this with grown well, adults who are committing crimes on a regular basis? If it's okay for us to do this to the young people, why is it not okay for us to remove? Listen, anybody that's, that's really actively using drugs needs to be removed from their situation. Most drug treatment centers people, are far away from, right. Separate them from the, from the triggers. There's no bigger separation than being out in the boonies of Oregon, you know, Good luck finding fentanyl in the desert. I and it's, that's what you have to do. That's what it takes. But that's a great point. I don't understand why we're not doing that. You know, I mean, it's not unacceptable to think that. You know, we've got to try. Listen, Portland, Oregon has got one of the 
best transit systems in the United States. It's, and nobody can use it. Right. Nobody can use it. On it. Right. Right. It's my only form of transportation. Now, why can't we get one of these buses? Because they're like, well, the the addicts that we take off of the street and stuff, we need to be able to get them to services. Well, if you're not able to bring the caseworkers and whatnot to them, which they should be able to do, if we can attend hearings and court trials via um, Zoom and stuff, then there's no reason that they can't get counseling via Zoom also or get their um, intake and registration for public services on Zoom. But if we're going to press the issue and they need transportation to get to their services, give them a big old TriMet bus, and that can be their shuttle. They get their own shuttle. I mean, they can get to where they need to go, but it's not a free-for-all of just, okay, we're just going to let you do what you want to do, and you can go back to the city and do drugs and come back to your – and come back to the um, – tiny house village or the safe rest village or the shelter intoxicated. Like, I I don't understand where we're tolerating you being intoxicated and being a risk to people. Again, I can't stress this enough. There are people that are trying to get clean and are in these services by having people that are actively using drugs in the same services. You're essentially just taking away any work that these people trying to get clean are doing. So I I just want to see them take the people off the streets, make big uh, military-style tents with with one AC, one industrial AC heater, whatever, with lots of bunk beds and around-the-clock narcotics and alcoholics anonymous meetings so that um, we can actually start seeing some headway. The reality that we all know that when um, people enter into treatment on their own, that the you know probabilities of success are a lot higher when they do it on their own. But the reality is, we don't have time to wait. We got to do this. We got to do this now. Yeah, and and like you pointed out, these people are getting money somehow for drugs. How are they? getting money for drugs. Well, I mean, some through prostitution. I mean, many, probably, potentially most. And then, of course, many others, if you've ever known a drug addict, like Aliyah and I have, if you've had these people in your family, you've been robbed, probably. Oh, and yeah. if you haven't, you're in, you're, I will tell you from going to Al-Anon meetings, you are in the minority, in the lucky minority. The rest of us in the room have been robbed multiple, multiple, multiple times. Or we've had our identity stolen. Or, we, you know, we've been robbed in one way or another. My, my identity is still stolen. I mean, I got a call the other day so by my sister. So uh, she's apparently she's alive and she's still out there somewhere. But And this is still going on. So th- these are resourceful people that will find the money somehow. And um, you, we used to have drug court. And when Nathan Vasquez was in here, who's running for district attorney against Mike, our current district attorney, Mike Schmidt, he explained it was called, it's called stop court. And he explained that, um, it is now only being used for measure 11 crimes, which are the absolute worst crimes imaginable that you can commit. Um, and Mike Schmidt defends this. And he says it's because the people that are that are in, and I don't have the numbers for this, but he swears by it that the people that are in prison for Measure 11 crimes are majority 
minority ethnic backgrounds, and so therefore he wants to put these people through diversion. Um, now, when Kevin Barton came on, he's the DA in Washington County where they enforce the law. Um, he's got like a 90-some percent conviction rate. He, when he came in here, he said he finds that appalling because people committing Measure 11 crimes are the scariest people around. And as he explained, go back and listen to that episode, these are murderers, these are rapists, and they, they might not be outright be adjudged to be outright murderers, um, or else they wouldn't be running around. But in, in general, um, these are people who have committed some form of homicide that may have been reduced from murder. Mm -hmm. These are people who've committed very serious assaults. We're talking about really serious crimes. And these are the people that Multnomah County is diverting into stop court. Now, in old Multnomah County prior to Mike Schmidt, prior to 110, et cetera, et cetera, um, we had stop court that we could attach to, as Washington County does. You can attach that to virtually any crime, yeah. particularly in the city of Portland or in the metro area or throughout the state of Oregon where we've decriminalized all drugs. Mm. Um, <laughs> so you can attach that to bike theft. I, go, t go talk to, uh, so you know these people because they came to your neighborhood, the uh, bike squad. Follow them on Instagram. It's the most fire account on Instagram, I swear to God. If you follow them on Instagram, you will see they are busting people right and left for car theft, uh, gun, uh, unlawful gun possession, um, possession of a stolen gun, possession of a stolen car, all sorts of stuff, drug dealing. Why can't we attach drug court to those crimes like we used to? That is what they're doing in Washington County. And they're having an incredible success rate with it, recidivism, which is committing crimes again. So that is why, for instance, the Obama administration, as we Kevin and I discussed when, on his episode, funded drug courts mm -hmm. because they tend to work. You get people, especially very long-term drug court, you've got a judge assigned to these people. Kevin says he goes to all, Kevin Barton, the DA of Washington County, says he, he goes to all of these people's graduations. And everybody is very proud of the job that, that these citizens have done. And, and they have earned the right to come back into the community and to be supported by everybody around them. And like Aaliyah said, what's happening in Portland is not only are they not being diverted into stop court unless they commit some heinous crime, and, and actually that's the only way you can get in the state hospital is if you commit a heinous crime. Um, this is ridiculous. We, As Kevin explained when he came on, we are waiting until we're terrorized by these people to actually protect the public from them. This is ridiculous. All the signs are there. They've got a rap sheet 20 miles long, and they're going in and out of the jail system. Being or, or the judges in Multnomah County will say ticket only, and then there's nothing the police can do. And they're not going to go through a tent just to ticket somebody. So they're just revolved. There's this revolving door in our system, and we're not protecting the public. And we wait until something horrible happens, like somebody's scalp gets eaten on a Max platform, yeah. or a toddler's pushed onto the tracks, right. or or that poor Donald, that elderly man who was beaten to death, literally to death, by an alleged drug addict. Um, we wait for these things to happen, and and then we put these people away maybe maybe we do i mean tbd tbd we'll see what happens with any of those people in washington county they're focused on protecting their citizens and there is all the focus on the perpetrator in multnomah county there is no focus on the victims in multnomah county until and unless someone is dead or dismembered 
the woman that got um, assaulted by the man with the, I think, I believe he hit her with a rock or a brick or something over in Northwest Portland in the back of her head. If I'm not mistaken, that same gentleman, uh, I use the term loosely, uh, but either way, he had later been released. And there were two separate incidents. There was the hitting this woman in the back of her head, and then I believe he later went and tried to attack a couple's home while they were having dinner and had broken a piece of their fence off and used it to bust the glass in their front door. And this happened in the early evening. So this is, again, not something that somebody was trying to be quiet about, discreet about. This is, you know, it's still daylight when these things had happened. And this man had done one crime, which I believe the woman getting hit in the back of the head was the first one. He got arrested. He was released. He said he smoked meth, and that was when he went and attacked the family's home um, up there in northwest Portland. So, And then you've got the, the uh, man that's been smashing windows out in Gresham. He was picked up four times and released. You know, and how much money is that going to cost the businesses? You know, uh, it's not just businesses, too. I mean, people's homes. Try to get homeowner's insurance and stuff when you're in an area where your house or your vehicle or anything is being constantly vandalized. Yes. Yeah. It's actually very expensive. Yeah. If you report to your, <laughs> I talked to my insurance company as I'm sure you did, which is how you figured yeah. this out. I, I'm like, why is this so expensive? Well, because you are, so I park, uh, we're looking out the window right now in my office, uh, downtown. I park right in that lot right there. Um, it's uncovered. And so I report to my insurance that I'm in this uncovered lot and it's it's, car insurance is very expensive because of the rate of car theft and car break-ins in Portland. Yeah, that's exactly right. My neighbor's um, windows in his car, he, his unit is closest to the homeless camp across the street from us. Oh, I can't imagine. So his car is like, Man, boy, they've attacked his car. His windows have been busted out at least three times, maybe four. And that's just in less than a year and a half. And it's not theft. Let's be clear on that. It's not theft. It's It's just vandalism. They didn't steal anything or disrupt anything in the cars. There's times that somebody has walked through our parking lot just breaking out car windows. And, you know, by the time the police get there, the person's gone. We had a woman who set fire to my building one evening. And who again, set fire to your building? She set fire to our building, to Building B. Yeah. Yeah. One of our neighbors, uh, Andrew, had caught her and started recording her thankfully they were able to get the fire out and that wasn't the only fire that happened though within that month there were several other fires that were set um to the island in front of our property that separates the two lanes now you tell me how live vegetation live green vegetation is going to start on fire and not be able to just go out you know that that's an accelerant of some sort somebody had put something on there that was going to be flammable. They also lit 
the corner of our property that, again, is closest to the camp. They lit that whole area on fire, too. We got our uh, fire extinguisher. that we, we have fire extinguishers around our property, thankfully, and um, we use those because the fire, the fire people, like you said, what did they say? They put out 2,200 fires last year. I mean, it was an incredible amount of fires. Yeah, I, yeah, and we it's so mind-boggling. It's hard to even remember the number because it's so high. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of fires that are intentionally set. Um, when people are high, they're destructive. You know, um, I'm sure people have seen people who are drunk. You know, woo, and break beer bottles or something, you know, and I mean, the meth and the fentanyl and the drinking are no different. Um, a lot of times people are, um, they're using multiple substance, intoxicating right. substances. So it's not just that they're using the fentanyl. They're usually drinking. And then if they're not using the fentanyl, they're using the meth to pick themselves up. And, uh, it's usually the meth and the alcohol that tend to have the violent uh, outcomes along with um, people just being mentally ill. And I mean, there's a lot of anger. I mean, clearly, the, I, I'm sure they're angry at their lives and stuff. Um, I remember one time in the middle of the night, you could hear a man on the still bridge saying, I want to die. I want to die, like screaming at the top of his lungs. I want to die. To me, that sounds like a cry for help of I'm tired of my life like this. I'm tired of living life as a drug addict. I'm tired of this addiction. And, you know, it's heartbreaking because you don't have anything to offer these people when that's right. you see them in that. Because that's a time, that right there would have been a perfect opportunity. I bet if anybody had walked up to that person and asked them or offered them, we have a bed and a detox yep. center for you now and, and let's go. And that's what Street Response should be doing and Multnomah County should be building out the detoxes, which my understanding is we only have two yeah. within the county that are at all functional for a health and Hooper and they're always full and they're always, I mean, this has been documented in the news line around the block. That's right. And people are people begging for detox and rehab denied. And do you think they care if they're in a fancy facility or do you think that they care about getting clean? Well, these aren't fancy facilities. Yeah. And these are the ones they're coming to. <laughs> yeah. This ain't this ain't promises in Malibu. I mean, this have you if anybody's seen Hooper, this is not um the, yeah, this this is not a Betty Ford clinic even. It's it this is They just <laughs> these are get really clean. just yes, that's right. Yeah. These these are bare bones facilities and these are people that are desperate to get off drugs. Desperate. Yeah. And when you catch somebody during that's the prime that's exactly time right. to catch that's the low hanging fruit. And yep. that's what I'm yep. saying. Erect some tents with some bunk beds. Get that overflow of people looking for detox into something well, immediately. That's a good point. This doesn't even have to be a brick and mortar oper operation. And what I think we're forgetting is that we could set, you know, of course, do we need the, the medical professionals? Yes. But uh, like Sharon Myron says every time she comes on, the county has more money than God. They have more money than they know what to do with. They're not even spending the money they have because they wouldn't. They can't even conceive of new garbage to throw it into. 
I mean, they will give them time. They will. They'll come yeah, up with yeah, some yeah. other like preschool program that doesn't actually serve anybody or <laughs> um, some more tents or tarps or whatever. They'll, they'll come up with some cockamamie plan. Crack pipes and tinfoil. Crack tin pipes foil. and tinfoil. There you go. Now that's what they're pouring their money into. So as she said, this is not the most wonderful thing about Multnomah County is and maybe the only wonderful thing is that they have so much money that they don't need. This isn't a money issue. They don't need to worry about money. They could they could buy anything they want, anything they want. Yeah. They are Elon Musk. They can do what they want with their money. And there's so much of it. Um, they can kind of do anything. And as she said, um, the weird thing is that we're not pouring it into this crisis in the way that you think that we would. We're not building out the detox and rehab centers at all. We are so myopically focused on harm reduction and quote-unquote harm reduction, which which has nothing to do anymore with, as, as you pointed out, Aaliyah, with, with reducing harm. We're not in the middle of the AIDS crisis in the 80s and 90s. And in fact, we have one of the highest hepatitis rates uh, in the country. That's what's so bizarre about this, is we don't even do needle exchanges anymore. We give people needles, and we still have one of the highest hepatitis rates in the country. I don't, mm-hmm. so that's not even working yeah. anymore. And, and we we fit, we won't admit it. Like, I don't, I don't know, we no. won't take, we won't look in the mirror. Something that I've noticed about Portland is it likes to keep reinventing the wheel. And when I say that, <laughs> exactly I, right. yeah, I, I say that in the manner of, I keep hearing um, city leaders touting what is going on in other places like Washington State that are having some success with their uh, tiny villages for homeless. Well, some things and criteria that they're um, that they have in their guidelines of their shelters in Washington are they're not putting these shelters in. Uh, underprivileged neighborhoods like mine. They're not taking advantage of neighborhoods that are already struggling like mine. They have barriers. Um, There's no active drug users and violent uh, offenders that are allowed to be in these shelters that they're putting, you know, in in residential neighborhoods. They are trying to find uh, neighborhoods that are open to them and are in more affluent areas that, um, like I said, aren't struggling and able to, you know, maybe be a better resource for people. But even then, I still, I still question that. But there's just there's different things that Washington is doing that is why they are being successful. Now, Portland wants to say, oh, we're going to do the same thing, but they're not. We're not doing the same thing. We're putting dangerous people next to elderly people's homes. We're putting dangerous people next to, you know, homes with small children. We're putting these active drug users into neighborhoods of women who live by themselves. And it it just doesn't make any sense to say, well, we're doing the same thing as this place. We're not. We're not. You know, Where's the where's the public uh, voice in this? Because what you're hearing a lot right now is a lot of people in these neighborhoods that are being forced to house, you know, active addicts in their neighborhoods by the city 
they're complaining, they're writing letters, they're calling commissioners out, and they're not getting any answers, they're not getting any response, their neighborhoods are being turned into, you know, now you've got drug dealers and drug trafficking on your street, you've got new crimes that are popping up, things in your in your yard are coming up missing, you know, it's just a matter of time before these neighborhoods start having dead people end up on their patios too. So, you know, I just, we're working with this, all. what is this, urban alchemy. Yes, yeah, right. They're running the new city homeless. You mean it's another way site. to funnel money, funnel money into other people's pockets? Because I'm trying to understand why we're using somebody who has and a horrible a track money. record. Why, if, if they're not working in the cities and states that they're already active, why would we hire them to do something here? We need to be working with the people that are having actual success, not the people that are dealing drugs to the people that are attending, you know, their facilities. Even that container, so that container under the bridge near my house, yeah. next to my home, one of the people that's manning that container, I saw him selling drugs. Yeah, selling drugs. So if you wonder why there's so many uh, tents directly. Is that container, do you know if it's run by the city or the county? I don't okay. know. Okay, so it's, but but we know it must be a government sanctioned container because yes. it's on public land. Right. And but it's not owned by a private business. No. So here's the thing. The waterfront park is vast. There's a lot of areas that they could have put this container. Now, I just want to say this is just a small theory. Our area right there between the Still Bridge and the Broadway Bridge, our property, McCormick Pier, is a highly sought-out property by developers. Developers have inquired for years on how to buy our property. Now, it was brought to my attention, and I have to do some further research, but it is possible that there are people that are developers that are on the board of the homeless mission that is under the Broadway Bridge. Now, the other service that we have at the opposite end is that um, city storage container. And then we have the unsanctioned illegal camp that is built around this city storage container. And that's the one across the street from you. Yes. And now Dan Ryan, the commissioner, is proposing to put a tiny rest village in that same area between the Broadway Bridge and the Steel Bridge. It is my belief that they are intentionally driving the property value down and running residents out of that area in order to capitalize on developing it. Uh, it doesn't make sense that we would cluster this many homeless services in such a small area like this. Because in less than a mile, you've got, um, you've got the Burnside mission, you've got the city storage container, you've got the mission underneath the Broadway Bridge, and then you also have uh, the unions, the Multnomah County um, Doreen's House. Dur I'm sorry, Doreen's Place. I don't know what that is. It's another homeless shelter. Um, it's right across the street from Union Station. And then you also have the Blanchette House. So Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot for one mile, right? 
that is a lot for one mile. Why are they concentrating all of these homeless services? And I'm not the only person that's been complaining. There is an organization, um, Safe for Rest. I, I, I would have to go back and look at their um, title, but it's an organization that has come together to oppose uh, Dan Ryan's um, Safe Rest Village in our area. Again, you're taking, they're taking advantage. You don't remember the name of the... No, no. Um, but like a neighborhood group, like a grassroots... It's a neighborhood grassroots grassroots group um, that has started... Um, and so they're coming together to try to oppose this safe rest village because you guys have enough to deal with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um they, I believe the people that are heading it live in a million-dollar complex that is just past Arbor... Oh, that's interesting. Arbor Mills, Arbor Mill. But within... But you're saying, like, they're, 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 they feel they may be affected because they're within potentially walking distance? It's, it's, it's right. It would be... The Safe Rest Village would be almost directly across from their yeah from their complex yeah so, and so yeah. they have resources and they're trying to keep this from from moving in right right but i mean even even with that it's going to it's going to take an attorney and legal um yes i mean and that's the thing is the city knows that a lot of us don't have uh, money for these kinds of things. And so if you want to complain, like what are you how are you going to how are you going to legal how are you going to pay for, for legal fees, you know? That's right. I mean, you're going up against the city. Oh yeah. And and they'll as you saw with the ADA with the Americans with Disabilities Act lawsuit, that thing was valid on its face. I'm sorry. I, for years, I have been asking, what the hell is going on with the Americans with Disabilities Act, and why are we not complying with it? Right, right. I felt like they honestly <laughs> should be... I, don't, I didn't feel like they should have given in as easily because I don't feel like... Well, they didn't want to, believe oh, me. They okay. did. I mean, if you talk to Tiana Toes or any of those plaintiffs, they will... They, it's one of those deals where any most lawyers will tell you. I mean, they walked. Everybody walks away feeling bad, which means you had a good settlement. That said, I will say I I have run that settlement agreement by a friend of mine in California who was doing the same kind of lawsuits. Who was part of uh, the homelessness and addiction coalition I'm part of called North America Recovers, and she says we got a good deal. She actually says the the stuff she's gotten from Los Angeles. The settlements she's received are nothing compared to what John DiLorenzo was able to get from the city. So, so apparently within the United States and from from precedent set by other types of these lawsuits, they did extremely well with the city of Portland. And in part, I think that's because it was just so darn valid on its face. Um, I mean, all you had to do was have a pair of eyeballs that work to know that we were violating the Americans with Disabilities Act. Oh, of Act. course, I mean, of course. <laughs> Of it doesn't course. take a lawyer to know that. And then, but like you said, this other stuff where you have to find some kind of legal hook in to, you know, enforce something, or maybe you need to find a statute that's not being enforced that is harming a class of people. And there's a 
potentially a civil right of action? And how who do you hire to explore all that? I mean, a pedestrian person is not able to do that. In fact, I wouldn't even, I mean, I don't do that kind of law, so I wouldn't even know off the top of my head. I mean, I, I talked to Tiana about all sorts of other things that she's concerned about, and she's concerned about a claim against the county, and I, I do think John D. Lorenzo was helping her with that. But, but you know, that wasn't something that I could help her with. So, and, and he works at Davis Wright Tremaine. He's a private lawyer. I mean, he has to be funded somehow. So right. where's the attorney fee provision? Is there attorney fee provision? I mean, like you said, it's just, it's very difficult to try to get any measure of compliance with anything that might even actually exist. My suggestion to anybody that is dealing with anything that has to do with the city, start your paper trail now. If you're noticing that there's a problem, start documenting pictures, emails, video. video. I, I Stay safe. Stay right, safe. stay safe. Don't approach anybody. Uh, but definitely start documenting. And, you know, at this point... I know that there's people that are like, I just don't feel like calling 911 anymore. You have to know how important it is to still keep calling 911 so at least it's a record that something happened. Um, you want to be able to show the increase of crime in your area, and that's not going to happen if we're not reporting. So I know it can be a nuisance, but it's just so important to keep reporting and keep a paper trail because you just never know, you know... Uh, for all you know, you might have to file a lawsuit against the city in order to get them to follow their own guidelines, you know? I can tell you that the elevators, I was, I'm was i surprised at how many elevators around Portland on the, trans, the TriMet uh, areas aren't working. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, the Broadway, the Hollywood Transit Center. So how are disabled people supposed to access? That's a good question. That's a really good Public question. Public transportation. Yeah. Same thing. At, so there is an access point for yellow and orange line through Levon Housing. And then there's a pedestrian bridge. This is between uh, the Levon Housing across the street from me and the union station. Now people are like, "Well, why don't why don't you guys just use that area instead of walking through the camp across the street?" Well, for one, it's not the right trains that a lot of us take. The other part of that is there's a large amount of stairs. And so if you're disabled or you have a baby stroller or even a grocery cart, these elevators that are run by the city, again, they're not always working. A lot of times they're broken. The one at the um, Hollywood Transit Center has been broken for months to a year. And even at the end of the day, even if they're working, have you seen the condition of them? They're disgusting. Oh, they're, they're, there's poo yeah, smeared there's around foil. one of them. There's the tin foil, and there's and a let's smell. talk about the urine. And it's not just any urine. You're talking about fermented urine that's been sitting, and not just one person urinating, but multiple people using this elevator as a bathroom. Do you want to be closed up in it? Do you want your baby closed up in there, in a in a room that's got poo smeared on the walls? Get the F out of here. This is ridiculous. But then when 
the city leaders talk about like, like Ted Wheeler and Dan Ryan, they were talking about, oh, we cleared, you know, we cleared the camps and, you know, they showed the park across from the old circuit court house. And, you know, they're like, well, look at this. Well, it's nice that you wanted to clear the areas around your office. It's great that you wanted to clear the areas around your favorite businesses. But what about the residents? What about the people that live down here in downtown Portland? We're also the people that kept a lot of these businesses afloat because we lived well, down right. here exactly and we were right. buying food from them and doing all these things. Don't we deserve protection? Don't we deserve to have an elevator that's working? Don't we deserve to walk to the public transportation without being put in danger of sexual and physical assault, without being threatened, without, you know running for our lives just to get on the max. This is ridiculous. I Again, I'd really like to take our public leaders on a field trip of what it's like to live a day in my area, you know. But they have to put disguises on, especially Jessica Vega, because they're going to see that Karen haircut coming from a mile away. I'm sorry. Well, and you would you would know because, I mean, a lot of people, I think a lot of her constituents don't know what she looks like. But you, Aaliyah, would know, and here's how I know that, because (laughs) she is at these county commission meetings every single week that I've been there. She's been there. Um, She is a staple. And she will, as she's testifying, she will say, as you know, or as I said in my last piece of testimony. And in fact, as you and I were talking about, that one of the issues at these city council and, and county commission meetings is they give too much time to lunatics and allow them to go over their time. And then the rule followers like Aaliyah, who are t- put together and on time and have their prepared testimony, are stopped when the timer goes off and there's no grace period allowed. And Aaliyah was talking to the county commissioners about her trauma, about her rape, and she was weren't you interrupted by the chair, Jessica yeah. Vega-Peterson yeah. of Multnomah County, and you were told your time was up? Yeah, she said, she said, that's enough. She said, that's enough. And then right after that, the buzzer buzzed. And right before you, a guy who was mentally troubled was Hurt calling... Hurt and pissed off? Injured and pissed injured off. And He's pissed there off. every week, too. He, You said, um, and I think somebody, I think, who works at the county was telling me about this, that he was calling all the commissioners bitches. And you sort of said yeah. from the audience, um, hey, you know, you can't call them that. You can't yeah. call them bitches. And Jessica Vega-Peterson, the chair of Multnomah County Commission, interrupted you <laughs> and, and said, don't interrupt him. Yeah. 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 It was wild. Do you understand how <laughs> wild it is? I'm telling you, it's just wild to see these things happening. Like, are you kidding me? I, I just, this man called you guys bitches, not once, not twice, but three times. You know what I'm saying? And the thing is, is, you know, you have to understand, and I'm going to say this as a black woman, I would be just as offended if somebody came in there and started calling me the N-word or anything else, you know. And so it's hard for me to understand how any public officials, especially females, because I could see ju- I could see uh, Julia Brim's face. <laughs> oh, I, I, I heard that 
she was appalled. Yeah. I, I haven't talked to her personally about it, but I, I heard that she was absolutely appalled. It, it, it was, it, it just, it was just a whole shit show. It, it, the whole thing was just a mess. And, uh, I just don't understand how that's acceptable, but it's not acceptable for me to basically tell you, look, this being raped is a possibility. This is a reality. And let me explain to you what being raped looks like. And that was my point with bringing up my own personal trauma is I want people to understand these things happen. I am one of the people that it happened to. I did not know this man. You weren't living on the streets. I mean, no. these, these, these are women who are uniquely, uniquely vulnerable. And if you talk to anybody who's doing outreach with people on the streets, they will say they haven't met a woman who has not been sexually, been sexually assaulted. assaulted. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you were housed. And I had you were, a home. Yes. And, and you were broken into. And then I think it's also important that your story be told because you are re-traumatized every Absolutely. time you see this playing out across the street from the home you, you own. Yeah. So a little bit more personal business. Uh, where we're at right now, or my, my, for me, I recently had to talk to my doctor about taking medication to stop the nightmares that I have from this. So uh, I have dreams of being sexually assaulted in this camp. And when you have these kinds of dreams, they're so real. They're so real at the time. Like it, it takes you some time after waking up to like really get a grip on you're not there. It's not really happening. So it's stressful. I used to sleep with the lights on, um, you know, because I, I, again, I strategically picked my unit. I, you know, it's an upper high floor. It's, you know, right across from the guard shack. I mean, I felt like I couldn't have done any better at picking what I would consider to be a safe unit. So you have a guard? We have security on our property, but they're not... Um, because of the situation, our costs have increased. And that's another thing that happens that people are not acknowledging is that the increase to... Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So for our, our property has been having a lot of problems uh, maintaining security. It's a dangerous um, area. We've had more problems. And to also acknowledge that we are not... Um, a lot of our residents, like myself, are on fixed income and don't have a lot of money. So raising our uh, HOA fees is a difficult thing. And our HOA members are trying to prevent that, especially with so many of our residents moving out. So we have a, if, if you look online, hey, anybody that wants a unit at the McCormick Pier condominiums, you can get a great rate right now on a great, beautiful unit. I mean, I'm not trying to give you guys like a sales pitch, but we got a lot of open units. But and we need more HOA money. <laughs> we need more HOA money, yeah. So, you know, we've had, uh, we've gone through at least, uh, I would say about three to four security companies. And that's just been in the two and a half years that I have been there. Uh, we just don't have, we don't have enough money to hire 
as many security guards as we really need for our property since we cannot cut the back access off because of the greenway path. It's public. All we can do, which we're working on right now, is a gate to close the main entrance, which is closest to my unit because uh, we do have a lot of people that just walk in. But that's only going to minimize the issues that we have. I mean, I see people just climb over our fence like it's nothing. I mean, crackheads are crafty. And And so do you all call the guard and do you ever get a response? Sometimes, um, but sometimes the Portland police are a little quicker. It's my my experience. Oh, the police are quicker than your the guard in your own unit. That's Echelon. Yeah, we've got Echelon security, and they hired Echelon to guard your condo. Oh, and that's a story within itself. And we have not had great success with them. You have not. Okay. No. Wow. I'm I was so actually assaulted by one of them. You were. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He sexually harassed me, and then he assaulted me after it was a power struggle about, you know, get away from my building. You know, you don't get to start telling residents at 11 o'clock at night, oh, you look good. Where are you coming from? I'm a 46-year-old woman. Like, no. I can't believe you're 46. I'm sorry. I know people can't see you. You look, <laughs> you look like you're in your 20s. Thank you. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors, but you know, we have a Botox appointment today. Don't I, worry. No. I, <laughs> I fully support everything that you're putting into what's going on across from me because it's very impressive. Thank you. Yes, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's I'm just not, been. I'm a, not saying that to sexually <laughs> harass you. I no, realize that we're saying this in the context no, of sexual harassment. No, no, I appreciate that. You know. But, but again, you're very beautiful, and that makes you vulnerable. Absolutely, I think that's important. I mean, not to, that's fuck, that no, was it's really true. arrogant no, to it's say. True. But it's true. It's true. When you put time, especially in Portland, when you put time into your appearance in the city of Portland, you will stick out. And I think people who put time into their appearance ha- understand and know and have experienced, you will be harassed. Yeah. Yeah, just walking around the streets. Somebody's going to catcall to you. Somebody's going to drive their car by really, really slowly, roll down their window, ask what you're doing tonight. And the fact that that happened, I mean, you never get used to it. And the fact that that happened to you, especially when you have trauma like yours. Exactly. And the fact that that happened to you by a paid guard for your condo unit that you are effectively paying because these people are being paid through your HOA fees, um, and then they're being, being paid. My understanding is from reading about Echelon pretty high rates. Absolutely. Um, I mean, did you did you complain about this guy? I did. I complained immediately. I'm at my wits end and I'm at a point in my life. Wow. My tolerance is done. I, I'm done. I have had it. I have had it with um, the sexual harassment, the sexual um, just the sexual threats. Yeah, and this is real sexual harassment. This isn't like the stuff that you hear people complaining about on Twitter where it's like, hey, I went to work today and my coworker said I was beautiful. Well, you know what? You can go fuck yourself. This is leering. No, this is him calling me a a bitch and telling me, shut the, I don't, shut the the fuck up. 
all of this is happening in front of my building. I cannot go into my building because I have to watch them and make sure they're not watching where I'm going. When you're a rape survivor, you're constantly aware that somebody's watching you and could possibly see where you're going. And so it's like... And then there are people hired to protect you. Yes. So he was fired. He does... Well, he was... He's... hasn't been on our property since that happened. Um, this but you happened. Think, you think he was fired or you know I he was fired? I only think he was fired. Oh, because you haven't seen him. But he could have been moved. Exactly. And now here's the thing about Echelon uh, after in hindsight, though. Or not hindsight, but move, moving forward what they're currently involved in. So they actually... Have been, So they have an office on our property. That was part of why we had hired them. We were like, oh, well, this will be great. You know, they gave us this whole spiel about, you know, we're, we like to work with our communities. We like to do outreach. We like to do all of these things. And so we were like, we are eating it up with a spoon. Like, oh, this, this company sounds like they really care about the community and stuff, right? So we hired them. But then what we found is that... Um, they were still allowing um, the people to drink openly, drink uh, beer and other things. Because what happens to people that are in these shelters and using these services in our area, a lot of times they come to the mini mart on our property. They buy cheap alcohol, and then they go sit right there in front of Echelon's office and drink the alcohol and harass people walking by on the sidewalk. They're... Echelon's response to this when we would complain is, well, it's public property, we don't have any control over it, and therefore they don't do anything about it. They don't even come out and try to talk to the people, right? Mm -hmm. So then, recently, an article was sent to me by one of my neighbors talking about how Echelon is promoting themselves with a nonprofit church group saying that they're doing outreach in... The area at that, uh, in that unsanctioned camp across the street from us. Now, let me tell you, they use this as a photo opportunity. They have never been in this camp. Do you know the outreach workers that are there are only there because of us going to those commissioner meetings and the woman Stacy from Jessica Vega's office getting on board with us and them sending public outreach workers and you said down one there. one was assaulted with a steel pipe. She wasn't assaulted, but she was threatened with the steel or pipe. Threatened, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So for Echelon to go into this area and use it as a photo op that they've never done any work in, they've only um, gone down there to take pictures and are making like, oh, you know, come give us money. You know, ever since this uh, billions of dollars was dropped, you know, as a budget for next year, a lot of people... A lot of new nonprofits, they're all coming to these commissioners' meetings and they've got their hand out because they want a chunk of that money. And Echelon and that, that nonprofit that they're working with is no different. They didn't do any of the work, but they're going down to these areas and taking pictures and videos to promote themselves. And you're That's saying you wrong. haven't actually seen them in your camp, that they've no. been hired to protect your condo unit. And sometimes they respond, but you're saying the police are usually faster, but you're certainly not seeing them doing outreach at the camp across the street. No, no. They went down there for a photo op. Do you know how sick that is? 
come to the commissioner meetings, complain with us, report the camp. You're not doing us any favors. So by, by, by going over there and you take pictures because, oh, this looks good. This will be good for a money. It's a money grab. They're using these photo, this camp as a photo op for a money grab. It's not right. And the thing is, is there's other out, there's other nonprofits that are going down there and doing the same thing. They're dropping off these boxes of food like these are stray cats and just leaving this mess. We live here. And then they don't eat the food. They don't eat and the then, food. They make yes. a mess with it. It's all strung. The, the boxes. And it sits and it rots. That That happens here too because there's a church across the street that hands out food and then mm-hmm. all the food ends up in, in and around our building, mostly uneaten. And it sits there, um, indefinitely until we ask to have it removed until we ask the building to have it removed or until at some point somebody comes along and, and finally cleans it up. Yep. That's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. I mean, how would you feel it's, if your neighborhood was infested it's, with rats yeah. and somebody's coming over and just dropping food off in your neighborhood and then leaving your neighborhood? You would be pissed. You would be pissed yeah, off. They and think we that are. they're feeding like people who've been displaced by the Dust Bowl. Or <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's what's going through their mind, that they think that they're feeding... A guy who, you know, may be undocumented and just, you know, a couple construction paychecks away from an apartment or a family or um, I I think that's who they think they're feeding. And they don't realize that these are people that are actually fed throughout the city multiple Mm -hmm. times a day, anytime they want. Um, Honey, they're making rounds. Don't be mistaken. I'm yeah. all over downtown Portland daily. And you're probably seeing the Regularly same when I'm not freaked out. But yeah, I see the same people at different organizations. I also see people just like, so last summer, they had outreach workers from some nonprofit walking up to their camp, their their tent doors, if you will, giving them water. They're dumping the water and putting these bottles into a bag to go and collect the recycling off of it. They're not even drinking the water that's being given to them. Right, they're getting the bottle deposit money. You're talking about active drug users. Yeah. Anything, food stamps, let me tell you. Don't be naive about how they make money. You get a food stamp card. You know what happens? They're going to take somebody to the grocery store with them, and they're going to get the money like that. You're exactly right, and I can say I have been approached many times in Safeway um, by people who want me to, um, who want to buy my groceries, and and then I will pay them in cash. It's happened, I, I don't know why I'm flypaper for these people, but it has happened to me multiple, multiple times. Like this, I yeah. don't know, this unassuming woman with a child or something will just think that I'm down on my luck and give me the cash that I need. I mean, of course, every time, I mean, of course, I recognize drug addiction a million miles away and I just say no. But I'm sure it works because otherwise, why wouldn't, I mean, why would that continue? It's, it's, it does almost work. Every time I go there, somebody asks me that. It does. And when you have no more dignity left, you don't care that somebody else said no. That's You're exactly just kind right. of keep asking. Yeah. And somebody eventually is get something. Listen, we're all struggling. So there's going to be somebody 
that's going, especially with the price of groceries going up and stuff, people are going to take them up on that. And it's yeah. like 50 they assume cents that these on the dollar. People are hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and see, when you just get food stamps, you're not required to do a jobs program or anything. So food stamps and a medical card, you can get that without going through a jobs program or anything. So there's no, um, there's no guidelines for that. But like I said, what's happening is that food stamp money, which used to be paper. I remember when I was a, I was a teen mom, and I remember getting food stamps that were paper, and I would buy a pack of gum. It was like they were literal stamps. Yes. Yeah. I would buy a pack of gum for 25 cents so I could get 75 cents in actual money, and that's how I would do my laundry. I mean, when you're, when you're living under, uh, in poverty, which I was, you know, I was living off of less than $500 a month at the time because I was turned out of the city's the foster care system without them telling me I was on disability income. And so I was forced to be on the regular welfare assistance program, and I, I was getting the most minimal of money to support me and this baby, and I didn't have family support. If I'd had family support, I wouldn't have been in foster care. And you said you're employed now. Is that is I'm not currently the- employed. I am a student working towards a degree in psychology, so I can do. Advocacy. Oh, you're still a student. Where do you go? I'm part of PCC. Oh, that's I great. Have not. I went to. That's so great, Aaliyah. My uh, let's see the winter semester. This last semester, I chose not to re-enroll. I was so affected by the things that were going on around me that yeah some of the days that I had have classes um, at the campuses I would have to call in and just tell them there's just no way like I'm so when sorry. there's a man at my gate that you know when I'm trying to leave and I have to go catch that bus to get I have to go that route to catch the bus to Rock Creek you know, like if I miss my bus, I'm screwed. And then not only that, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to challenge some guy that's bigger than me. Even with Mace, Mace doesn't work in these situations when, you know, somebody is high. They're immune. You just don't know, and you don't know what kind of weapons they have on them. That man that just got murdered in Southeast Portland with a knife. I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of people open carrying large knives and stuff around here. I just don't want to challenge it. And so for me, leaving my home can become a very iffy thing. And that's something that me and my therapist are working on right now is that my confidence level and anxiety and hyper-awareness are affecting um, my day-to-day activities. You know, so... Like, I'm happy that I was able to come here and stuff. Yeah. I'm in the mornings. And that you could get to commission meetings. Right. So in the mornings, here's the deal. They're usually asleep. So they right. stay up super they're up late. Right. Yeah. right. And so I usually just try to leave, leave early. Yeah. as early That's as smart. possible. That's really smart. Because it does die down. Uh, an hour or two, maybe after the sun comes up, that kind of activity tends to die down. Yeah. But, I mean, you're talking about somebody who's got years of trauma and years of finagling ways to get around things so that I can get things done. 
have now ask me though, when was the last time I got to the grocery store to get groceries? I get groceries at Winco over in Gateway because they're a lot less uh, expensive. Yeah. Um, Safeway's pretty expensive. It is expensive. Yeah, Winco's probably the best option. And I'm still on a limited income. Right. So I I roughly live on about $2,000 a month. So I manage my money very tightly. So getting groceries, I usually go to Winco. Uh, I have not been able to get groceries in, I think it's been about month and a half, only because I don't feel comfortable or like when you have your hands full and everything, because I don't, I don't have a wagon right now, but when your hands are full yeah, with groceries, I don't have my hands free to call 911. I don't have my hands free to use my mace. I don't have my hands free to defend myself. And so I don't feel comfortable getting groceries. One of my friends recently um, had groceries delivered to my house, and I was really thankful for that. But again, I mean, it still costs. I, I could have gotten more groceries from Winco for the price that it costs oh, to get them more. from Safeway delivered, you know? <sighs> What do you do? What do you do? How are you supposed to survive? You know, the people that bought the unit next to me, um, they bought it for $310,000 and they're taking a $15,000 price cut um, on their unit and they've been there for less than a year. He's a anesthesia nurse or something um, doing yeah, which surgery. Yeah, make really good money, yeah. He said he came from Ohio. A gay guy comes from Ohio. He's so awesome. And he was a really awesome neighbor. And he just said, Aaliyah, I can't, I, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I, I can't live like this. Um, so he's selling his unit, you know. And again, he's not the only Probably one. Probably at a big loss. At a loss. Because Adelaus. of the market, too, and inflation and, and rates, and yeah, it's all a mess. I put every bit of savings that I had into paying my unit, paying my unit off. I have no more savings. I, prior to um, 2013, I was on disability income my whole, most of my life my whole adult life up until up until I made just a couple hundred dollars over. And so I don't have that anymore. And now I'm at a position that, you know, me working outside of the home isn't an option. Because like I said, between dealing with my mental health issues that are being extremely triggered by the situation in my neighborhood with this unsanctioned camp, and uh, just everything, it's, it's just, you just never know from day to day. Um, Have you ever thought about or, or what would push you to selling your home, even if it's, you know, likely would be at a loss and going somewhere safer and more affordable just to protect? I mean, I know you're helping with your grandchildren, but, you know, you also need to I mean, you can't help anybody until you're good, yeah, right? Right. I mean, right. have you ever thought about moving somewhere safer? I am in the process of 
getting my unit ready to rent out. And okay. So here's That's the thing. Smart. We're renting it out. There you right. go. I have faith that things aren't going to stay like this. You Where know, does that come from? Because I saw what we were growing up. I got We got through the crack era. Like anybody that yeah, remembers we did. No, the true. crack era and of it was Portland, very dangerous. It was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah, the gun we violence. had the the Columbia Villa was full of gang violence. North and Northeast Portland. Yeah, no, that's were right. Horrible. And you know what? Muggings and we came out of it. I would say by the time I left in 1997, we were in a good place. Granted, Old Town, Chinatown, honey, downtown, any place has some sketchy places. It you does. Know? It does. And but usually it, they're just confined to, unlike Portland, right. they're usually confined to one or two areas. And ours always were confined to certain areas. And we were fine with that. It's like, okay, cool. We accepted it. But, you know, where we... Where we were, because even though I moved away in 1997, I was periodically coming back here to visit my family. And then when my kids uh, came back, especially um, my son and my daughter, I was making two trips a year out here, and I would stay at the Society Hotel. It's one of my favorite places to stay. Yeah, Jesse Burke owns that. That's a beautiful hotel. Beautiful place. But it is, as Jesse talked about when she came on, it is in Old Town. They cleaned it up. Yeah. I think their presence really made a drastic difference. Well, you know, that was Echelon. Was it? Yeah, so she hired Echelon. And for all their, you know, apparent faults that, that I've, I you know, their controversies, um, I, she talks about how they really saved her business. Um, and that's who she uses to keep riffraff out of her hotel. And it's, it's really too bad that you, I don't know what happened with the people your condo, um, association has hired, but for whatever reason, the ones that Jesse has, she says have been incredibly good at keeping their, hotel patrons safe yeah and their hotel safe well i can tell you once once you get in yeah once so she has locked doors yeah she does she put locked doors on there and so yeah you can't just walk into the hotel lobby over there anymore but you know once they had gotten that building up and running and when i was staying there i mean it really was an enjoyable place to sit out at the tables and you know maybe go across the street to darcell's and and hang out in there because it's really pretty you know with that that lit tree and in the early 2000s i would say up until maybe 2015 or so um maybe maybe occupy so maybe earlier probably earlier um it, that was a vibrant, relatively safe area. I mean, I was down in that area in the early 2000s many, many, many nights with no issue at all. No yeah. issue at all. Like, not even approached yeah. by anybody. Yeah. By anybody. And you could safely walk around. Good luck now. And there was nightlife yeah. in that area. Now she has to go to commissioner meetings and complain about why are you guys allowing people to smoke fentanyl openly in front of my establishment yeah. and poison my employees. One of her employees had to go and go to the emergency room uh, because they had been poisoned with uh, open fentanyl use um, in front of her place. I noticed changes oh, I around didn't hear 2019. That part. Wow. 
2019 is about when I started seeing a decline in uh, in the safety and just how things were being handled around here. And then uh, it seems like it just progressively got worse. I mean, the city's not following its own rules. And uh, just like you're seeing with this camp, with this no camping ban, I mean, how many times has that gotten delayed? We said, okay, well, it's going to start next month. Well, what day? Oh, it's going to start on this day. Okay, well, now we're not going to start it on this day. We're just going to educate. And then you've got people on the news from these camps saying, well, we had no idea that there was a no camping ban going on. You're kidding me. I see the outreach workers in your camp. I'm like, girl, I recognize you. Honey, I've seen you. You're going to tell me you didn't see the two tables of outreach workers in the middle of your camp that have been sitting there asking y'all, do you want to bed someplace? Do you want to get off the street? We can get you someplace permanently, you know, whether that's, you know, how a, a temporary housing situation until they find you permanent housing. But either way, they're offering them beds. What I hope to God that they're doing is the outreach workers need to make sure that they are documenting this so that when we hopefully right. do start kicking these people out of these public places, that there is documentation to show so they don't sue so they don't sue the That's city right. again. We gotta do better documentation. Yeah, we're not doing any of that. We're not collecting any information. We're not collecting metrics. We should You're be an able attorney. to you know law. the importance. Oh, of it's that. ridiculous. We should be able to, like Sharon said. We should be able to, um, She, I think she said it in her first episode when she was running for chair. When she came on the show, she said we should be able to log in to the county at any given time. Mm-hmm. Any taxpayer should be able to do that. Anybody, anybody from anywhere. Log in to the county, there, there sh- the county website. There should be a dashboard, and it should tell you where every dollar is going and what the success metrics are for that dollar. Absolutely. And then you can hold people accountable. And when you go to these commission meetings, you can say, hey, I was on the dashboard. I was looking at what's going on with this program. We're not seeing success here. We're not seeing people going to detox and rehab. We're not seeing people being housed. We're not seeing people getting the mental health treatment that they want. We're They're remaining on the streets. Can we do something about this? Instead, it's this opaque she doesn't even have the data. That's the craziest part is yeah. anybody who doesn't know this about Multnomah County should go back and listen to Sharon Myron's first episode when she was running for county chair because she she explains, I mean, I didn't understand until she came on. She explains, unless you are the chair of the Multnomah County Commission, which currently is Jessica Vega-Peterson, you don't even have access to this data. She doesn't have access to it. And people who are complaining and screaming about her and Julia Brim Edwards not doing anything, I, I want to go back and listen to that episode because she will tell you there's nothing to be done except write op-eds, talk at commissioner meetings about what you don't like, tweet. Um, you can talk to the chair. You can talk to the chair's staff, but unless the chair wants to do something or put something on the agenda, you have no power. You're a sock puppet that sits and listens to testimony and you vote yes or no on the chair's agenda items, period. You don't even have access to information about the programs you're funding, which is why she voted no on the budget. Yeah. 
Imagine feeling like your hands are tied behind your back and you have people like me coming in and telling you these horrible stories. Like, I actually would have to ask you this question. I want to know who I need to direct my frustration with with these. Who decided that we're going to start handing out the tinfoil and the crack pipes? Well, that's the Multnomah County Health Department. Wow. Yeah, that's our health department. And I'll link to that article from Willamette Week. It's, it is the health department, and I think... I don't understand why Jessica Vega-Peterson, with all her power as chair, couldn't put a stop to that immediately. I mean, Julia Brim Edwards says she's going to look into it, she's going to ask questions, and she was pilloried for that. But again, I want people to understand, you know, they're like, oh, so you're not going to act. She can't do anything. Right. Only Jessica Vega-Peterson can do anything. And, and maybe she can. Meetings. I don't know. But we need to go to these meetings this week, next week, the week after, the week after, keep and just going. keep going and and asking who is accountable from the county health department for this policy. Is Absolutely. it the chair? Does the chair have the power to shut this down? And if you do, Chair Vega-Peterson, please shut it down today and then talk about the data. Talk about why this is not harm reduction. Talk about fentanyl. Talk about how deadly overdoses are. Talk about, um, and, and the county will say, and, and according to Willamette Week, what the county health department said was people aren't injecting anymore. I think this, they said, and I'll link to it in the show notes, that injections have gone down by like 60%. And hmm. so what they want, and they're realizing that it's not because people are getting clean, and they were, they were upfront about that. It's because they're smoking fentanyl off of foil. So we'll give them what they want. We'll give them the foil and the pipes and then the straws, which is bizarre because in the city of Portland, it's actually nearly impossible to get a plastic straw. Um, and you right. can't unless you ask for one. There's an ordinance about that. Honey, what are you talking about? They have a whole set of different rules that they have to follow. To whom they everything get is given to and do nothing whatever. is that's Absolutely. Exactly, yep, that's exactly right. And see, so they will give it to you. And they are going to sites and distributing these at these at these county sites. And they um, say that it's because they're coming in for services. Um, and I did a, I'll link to a Twitter thread that I did about this because it, that was so infuriating for me to hear. Because for one thing, if anybody with a drug addicted family member who has suffered from drug addiction knows you, look, I mean, if you want to get clean, you're lined up at For a Health or you're lined up at Hooper. You're not going to get needles at the county health department. No. And if you're going to get needles at the county health department, you're not going to start working with a caseworker. That's not how that works. And and they know it. And that's why they're not keeping numbers. There's n they, they can't show you any data about somebody who came to them for needles who went and got clean. They, because they don't have it. They don't keep it. Yeah, yeah. It, because it would be abysmal. We know it would be abysmal. And, and one of the reasons we know this is because Sarah Nelson, who's a city councilor in the city of Seattle, who's awesome... Um, there's a clip of her, and I'll, again, I'll link to this in the show notes, but there's a video clip of her at a, at a council meeting where she's talking to these harm reduction advocates that are doing the same thing, that we're handing out needle, needle, or not needles, but yeah, needles, but mostly smoking kits because they're trying to dissuade people from using needles and because they recognize people aren't using needles, they're using, they want to smoke pills. So she is asking them, okay, um, why Why would you do this? And she says, she, Aaliyah, just like Aaliyah said, she says, look, during the AIDS crisis, I totally get why we were doing needle exchanges. That was harm reduction, and I understand it. 
please explain to me why we're handing out smoking materials. What is the harm reduction? And their answer was because they'll come in for services and we're establishing trust and so we're meeting them where they are. And she said, so you're tracking these people. So do you have the numbers of the people who are getting services? Yeah. And and the guy stammered and he looked around and he said, I don't have those in front of me. I don't have. And then he said, I'm going to let so-and-so talk about it because she knows more about the project. And this woman... I, I don't want to assume her pronoun. The person, this person said into the microphone, look, we're sub- the key is bodily autonomy. And people are going to use drugs, and we are supporting basically, you know, in, not in so many words, but we're supporting their right to use drugs. And she said the key is bodily autonomy. Bodily autonomy is key. So that's, that's what this is about. This is about somebody's belief. So does that mean that I can, let's say I have a penis, or I have, a, I have a vagina, it's okay. I can do the same thing. So let's say that I would choose, because this is my body, right? Am I allowed to just go masturbate wherever I want to? Well, That's in this city, probably. probably. Let's not use that as an example. But <laughs> it's in, probably Florida, not. in Florida, probably but, not. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, in Texas, I, I get it not. that people want to give people choices, but the thing is, is that when these choices, you don't get to just yield a, a, a knife around because you think it's a great idea. Right. I mean, you your know? point is, look, that would be fine if they were engaged in, in drug use in their home or, right. if, you know, do what you want as long as you're not impacting the community in a negative way. Right there. If you're, right on the other hand, if you're committing crime, if we can tie your addiction, and again, that's why I think Nathan Vasquez's idea, who's running for district attorney in Multnomah County, his idea of bringing back this stop court, this drug court for crimes that are not Measure 11 crimes, mm-hmm. that if you can attach a crime to somebody's drug addiction, let's get you into drug court. Let's get you into mandatory rehab and detox. Why not? And and believe yeah. me, at some point you will commit a crime and then we can attach it. If we've got enough police officers to get that thing down the pike and if we've got a DA who's going to prosecute that stuff like Nathan Vasquez, then we'll see these people coming through potentially this, this drug court if we can revive it again. And then we can start getting these people off the streets and addressing this root cause of these unsheltered homeless people that we see on the streets. It's addicts. It's addicts. You know, I, I I hate to do that, but the reality is, is like, even for myself, I hate to even call them just homeless people. These I know. are well, active that's a, that's drug a addicts. Term. Yeah, I mean, I, I really hope... We need to start calling it what it is. We need to stop calling them houseless neighbors or, yeah. you know, our homeless people. These, that's, we, we should just call them the the people suffering from end stage and hardcore drug addiction that are living on the streets. Yeah. We, we, we need to come up with some term that encapsul- encapsulates the actual reality of the people who are lying in the gutters. Right. I hope that people show up. I, I, I really want people to be really angry about this um, tinfoil and crack pipe things so angry that they start showing up to the commissioner meetings. And the thing is, is that if each of us, let's say, let's say even 
10 to 15 of us show up at a commissioner meeting, we're taking up two to three minutes of the commissioner's time. If we all They'll go reduce back it to, to two, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? It should be three, right? but believe me, if you show up with a crowd, as I've experienced, they will reduce you to two. But we got, we, if we can show up, and like maybe some of us take a shift change, like maybe so, like one week That's there's right. a group of us that come, and then the next week there's another group. That's right. But we have to get that momentum going to hold the city leaders accountable that are in control of the things that are going on around us that aren't getting dealt with. And we have got to be aggressive. It's it's not just about the poop on the streets. It's not just about, you know, me being comfortable. It's about me as a resident not getting traumatized. It's about being able to be safe in your neighborhood. It's about not worrying about walking through clouds of fentanyl smoke. And it's about feeling like city leaders are not just hearing you, but are actively working for you. And that's why you voted for them. You know, I just I just hope that people really um, start showing up. Because the thing is, is too, you don't have to be there in person. You can also yeah, register can do and do it virtually. Yeah, so... Or you can even write a statement and have... That's um, true. You can do a written statement. Right. And they'll put it in the public record. All these different ways that you can uh, at least get your voice heard. And, I mean, I know some people are like, well, wow, you just keep going to these meetings and they don't seem to be helping you. Well, my whole thing is to just keep showing up because I do feel like eventually somebody's going to listen. And if they're not going to listen, I hope that all of you are listening and that you'll take not just my story, but everybody else's stories that are having problems and show up, show up for us, show up for yourself in your own neighborhood too, because they're going to start putting these safe rest villages uh, wherever. And if your neighborhood isn't fighting aggressively, you're going to end up. You're going to be next. Yeah, you're going to be next. The group that in my neighborhood is called the N4 Safe. It's letter N, number four, and the word safe. They are an organization that is opposed to the Safe Rest Village on Northwest NATO Parkway, right next to the Harbor of Hope Navigation Center. That's the homeless mission that I've been speaking about that's underneath the Broadway Bridge. So when people say that the citizens of Portland need to do their part, honey, we're doing it. We're doing it. We've been doing it. It's the city leaders that need to start acting. I am hoping that um, with Julia... Sharon and sorry. Oh, no, 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 it's okay. These, yeah, the people that you're naming are the commissioners. Two of them have been on this show Julia Brim Edwards, who was elected. Thank you, everybody who voted for her. And yeah. uh, Sharon Myron, who's a county commissioner who unfortunately lost her bid to, for chair, but is at least on the commission and is a public official that you can email and complain to. Yeah. I mean, I, I send emails to these people. I attach about 22 plus people. I just go online and look for their public uh, email addresses and stuff. I would say 
within a week, I probably send about 100 emails. Because wow. I'm not just sending one, girl. I'm sending these emails back to back. I'm sending them back to back throughout the day. And you I'm did trying get a to clog up their email system in order for them to see how serious I am and that the problem hasn't gone away. I'm also doing this in a way to where, you know, you can't say you didn't know. The city can't say they didn't know that this yeah, was happening. They're on they can't say they didn't know what I don't ha- that I have PTSD and that my disability is being, you know, is 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 causing me problems because of the illegal unsanctioned camp that they're allowing in my neighborhood. So it's not just people with wheelchairs and walkers and stuff that are um, being restricted from using normal areas, people like me right. who are disabled mentally. We're forgetting about the functionally, the functional people who are mentally ill. And because you function yeah. and you look Together. like a functional person, right. you don't count. Right. That's exactly right. That's and because you make right. sense when you speak and you, you have some clarity and some organization to your thoughts, you don't count. Yeah. And we're going to let this guy come in and run his mouth at the mic for five minutes telling us to go fuck ourselves. Yeah. And calling us bitches. And calling us bitches. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. You hit the nail on the head with that one. And I want to be clear about if anybody is sitting at home thinking, oh, this is like some mega woman or something. I mean, first of all, not only <laughs> is Aaliyah black, but I happen to know she's probably not a Republican because no. <laughs> I was actually at a county meeting when a black woman, another black woman called in. And said she had been terrorized by criminal activity, homeless Mm -hmm. criminal activity near where she lived, and that she would be voting Republican from now on. Oh, it made me cringe. I heard you say audibly, I don't know about that. Yeah. Let's not go that far. Let's let's (laughs) back up there. Let's back up there. We're not going to go completely left (laughs) on that, you know, or right. But... The the reality is, is that there's going to be there's corruption in all parties. That's right. There's corruption in all parties. Of course, that's true. And one of the things that I want all of us to understand is that if anything, all of us should be uniting on this one issue that we all agree that we don't want this to be Portland. And that's where I think that there is room for unity. Uh, when it comes to all the different political parties um, of, of people, people for you know that 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 support different political parties to unite, because I think that we can all agree that our city leaders aren't working, and our our, our city is not working the way it should properly be working. I mean. It's no different if you were to be in a Republican state and, you know, you didn't think that they were, you know, handling something properly either. People march, people, you know, protest, people do different things. You know, I just feel like um, this is something that we all need to put our um, parties to the side on and unite on the fact that our city is failing us and we need help. And we need to hold these people accountable. I mean, frankly, I'm in favor of, of finding people's addresses and carrying on. Maybe not the same way that some of our un, our, our my neighbor, my drug addicted neighbors have been carrying on. But, you know, just kind of like in a fun way of like, you know, I, 
I have friends that are okay with being semi-nude. How about we come and hang out in your neighborhood and wear pasties in front of your kids and, you know, G-strings and stuff and smoke our our CBD vape pens and, you know, play bongos. I don't know, something. But just in order for you to get an idea of a nuisance, something that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure that nobody would be comfortable if it. a group of strippers, you know, come into their neighborhood with pasties on and G-strings and start twirling their their tassels. But that's where I'm at. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I'm ready to start rounding up troops that are willing to be a nuisance in these people's neighborhoods that are city leaders and whatnot. Just to make a point, it's summer. I got some time. You know, let's get some tents. Let's go. Let's go to their neighborhood and and throw vegetable garbage because I don't want to leave regular garbage in people's neighborhoods because I don't believe in littering. But you know, let's get some lettuce. Lettuce is cheap. Let's throw some lettuce around their neighborhood. Chop it up with the neighbors with your boobs out. See how they like it. It's. It, they're not gonna like it. They'd be like, wow. You know, at first it becomes it's funny, but then when it becomes a spectacle and news stations and stuff start, you know, reporting on it. It's no longer funny. It's it's like, well, this is serious. If you don't like it, then how do you think we feel? Well, and you're being, obviously you're being hyperbolic because you're, you're wit's end. But your right, point right, is well right. taken, <laughs> which is these people, it seems to be that the people that we're talking to at these county and city meetings seem confounded by a lot of the things that we're complaining about. Um, it's on paper to them. It's not right. a real thing. Right. So that woman that I spoke about that was sexually assaulted, had those men grabbing her breasts, they're not seeing it. They're yeah. just hearing about it. You have to see this young woman on her back in the dirt with her legs up and open and men around to really grab, grasp onto the fact and the reality of what this really is and what it really looks like, you know? Because right now it's just on paper to them. And if Jessica Vega was bothered by, my, by, by me, just I hadn't even gotten into the story and she had already shut me down. But, you know, if that bothered her, she needs to see that. She needs to see what I see. Yeah, it's strange to me. Either their eyes are closed or, I'm, I mean, they're just ignoring the reality because you actually don't even have to live in it. Mm-mm. You just need to exist within the city and just walk around any quadrant of the city at any given time to see that kind of... I mean, I haven't seen full sexual assault, but I've certainly seen... Uh, prostitution, mm-hmm. um, you know, trafficking, sexual trafficking in and out of tents, certainly drug dealing, certainly injecting, certainly throwing needles around. It's certainly human feces, certainly people taking poops. Mm-hmm. I find it very hard to believe that the that these counselors and commissioners haven't glimpsed some of that. I find that very hard to believe because they all live within city limits and the city councilors come downtown and the commissioners go to the Multnomah building, which is on the east side, just mm-hmm. right across the bridge here. 
Um, one thing that I will say, Aaliyah, about those of us who need to band together is there is an organization. It used to be called Portland Party. It's now called Future Portland. Okay. Um, and I'll link to that in the show notes. And Future Portland is a great place for centrists, for people who think, like you said, Aaliyah, all, everybody's kind of corrupt and we're not, um, maybe, maybe we're probably most of us, because we live in Portland and most of us self-select are, are Democrats, at least on voter registration. But um, but the, all of that said, here we are in this allegedly progressive city that is no longer working for us. Um, and, and the Democratic Party doesn't seem super interested in putting forth candidates that are willing to talk honestly about this drug addiction crisis and the fact that the people on the streets their drug addiction probably will not be cured by giving them a home. Um, it's not going to be cured by giving them a home. Do you see what they do to their own? Look at the camps. The camp is, look at these camps. These camps are a clear indication as to how they're going to take care of a home. And the commissioners in the city is like, well, we want to force, you know, renters and stuff to take vouchers. We think that the community should let these people move into their open units or if they have an extra room, make them your roommate. Oh, my God. Are you serious? How about this? You know what, Jessica Vega, you take them home with you. You take them home with you. Let them stay on your couch. Carmen Rubio, let them come over to your house and smoke fentanyl with your kids while they're watching uh, cartoons. Let them come over with all their friends. Let them come over there and drink their malt liquor and stuff yeah, in your I'd, yard I'd, and I'd, on your porch exactly. and urinate, pull their penises out for everybody to see. Let them do this in your house. Be, if you think this is such a great idea, even Carmen Rubio, just, I'm, t- I'm telling you, girl, I got to, me and her, being that she is a nonprofit executive and she was fighting. She's another one. Well, on behalf of black and indigenous women, honey, don't speak for me. You're not speaking for well, me. And as, for, as far as I know, she identifies as Latina and not as black nor indigenous. <laughs> exactly but she wants to be the voice of right and she wants to advocate for us to live they should be able to live ain't nobody talking about indigenous women acts asking to live on on stolen land we're talking about active white and whatever kind drug addicts and there even 90 percent of them maybe 99 are white men i yeah i i don't know why the black and indigenous women keep getting brought up here because again we are not talking about an unsanctioned camp of single mothers that are struggling with their kids yeah this isn't mama working five jobs and i think again it's just so important to distinguish between the sheltered homeless and we actually do pretty well with sheltering families you don't see you're not going to see families in the gutter and you don't and to the extent you do if you stand there long enough um particularly outside of new seasons on woodstock you will see a van coming to get that woman and her kid that's a whole other thing that we can talk about on another show oh yeah Um, the fake panhandlers (laughs) using those babies and there aren't a lot of them (laughs) it's so freaking troubling um and i know that that people outreach workers like people like kevin dahlgren will say i have seen homeless children and I have seen children surrounded by needles and I know that that has happened and but as he says these are either women who have very severe drug addiction issues with their child and CPS won't do anything about it Mm -hmm. or they're with men 
who have very severe drug addiction issues. And again, the child is within this and CPS isn't doing anything about it. But these aren't people that can use your, um, these aren't, you know, this isn't a, an issue of, of, it's only an issue of poverty to the extent that drug addiction doesn't allow them to hold a job. I mean, if right. you can work, there are plenty of things we can do for you within the city of Portland. In fact, if you don't work, uh, there's 20 billion things that they will do for you in the city of Portland. But what they don't seem to be interested in doing is getting you into any kind of rehab or detox. No, we have a big billboard on the building not too far from here that says, do you want to get off drugs? We'll give you methadone. That's not a solution. You're trading a drug for now, a regulated drug that we can give you legally on your medical card. Well, and frankly, Aaliyah, if they gave all these people methadone, I'd be thrilled with it. I I, <laughs> I feel like that's a step. It is a step in the right direction. Yeah, it, if it, we it, could it, knock it off with the foil and the pipes <laughs> and just move straight to methadone, I, I, I got to throw some I dice you. that way because um, I, I all, my money would be on the methadone over the, the pipes and the tents. I'm with you. I mean, the thing is, you know, when you talk about getting people out of the situation that they're in. I'm going to use domestic abuse as an example. So in general, the statistics are it takes a domestically abused woman about seven times of people helping them, um, packing up all of their belongings, leaving their situation. I mean, we're talking about packing up their kids, getting their own apartment, Getting a job, establishing, they've even established themselves. We're talking seven times, up to seven times of them doing this before they successfully completely leave that abusive relationship. And so to me, the reason that we need to keep um, forcing uh, or implementing the mandated uh, treatment is that, um, excuse me, is that um, they eventually it's going to take, eventually it's going to start to resonate with that person. I mean, if people can be brainwashed into thinking that the earth is flat, I think you can be brainwashed into not doing drugs again if you're consistently um, going through treatment and being you know, in Narcotics Anonymous meetings and being surrounded, again, being surrounded by other people who are actively working to be clean and out of Portland out of Portland Portland. you got to get out of downtown Portland is not the place for anybody to be getting clean anywhere yeah I don't care where you are don't don't be anywhere in Portland go go it's it's exactly like you said why and and you know what's so interesting about what you said is about McLaren about the youth facility what's so interesting about that is um, well, yeah, anybody in Al-Anon will tell or in Alcoholics Anonymous, nar- Narcotics Anonymous, it's people, places, and things. And yeah. so you avoid all those old people and places and things. But as you said, what I think is so interesting is all we talk about in the state and all Mike Schmidt, who are current DA in Multnomah County, talks about is prison reform, prison reform, prison reform, juveniles, protect the juveniles. Well, the juvenile serious offenders like Kip Kinkle, who um, shot his parents and then went on to shoot up his school who was at McLaren until he was transferred when he was an adult. He actually gave me my tour of McLaren. Um, Very nice gentleman within the confines of that facility. Uh, (laughs) Totally unsuspecting. Um, When when you go to McLaren, you will see, as Aaliyah said, how far out 
that place is. It is it is within driving distance from Salem relatively easy, but it, it is also not within a neighborhood. It is not within any kind of working area, community with businesses that need to thrive. There's no um, public transportation that can be accessed easily to get to some place where you can buy drugs. Yeah. That's right. And so, as Aaliyah said, if this is how we're, quote, unquote, treating our youth, and I'm not going to argue that a lot of these people shouldn't be incarcerated because, uh, you know, people like Kip Kinkle need to be protected from, society needs to be protected from people like him. But on the other hand, if we're yapping about criminal justice for our young people and we're sending them to places like McLaren, why can't we protect our law-abiding young people and send drug addicts who are committing crimes and and um, hurting our community um, to the extent that you can trace it to a drug addiction. Why can't we put, like, bring back stop courts like Nathan Vasquez wants to do and put these rehabs and detoxes out where they're not within neighborhoods and not within, sh- shoot, you know, if the, if the city of Portland wants to put all these people into a... Um, safe rest area or whatever you want to call it, um, (laughs) then put them out where we're putting places like Snake River, the prison, and where we're putting places like McLaren. Put them out. If you want to do no barrier situations, that's where they've got to go because people like Aaliyah and and like Aaliyah said, her elderly neighbors who found this this body of a a dead person on their porch... They, it's very difficult for them to go about life. Who goes on with their day? Who goes on with their day? And I think that what's happening and people don't realize it is that our brains, our brains are an amazing thing. And sometimes what our brains do, and this happens to a lot of uh, young children that experience trauma, your brain will tune things out in order to protect you. And I that's think right. that's what is happening to people, too. Is you disassociate. That just, right. Right. And so long as we don't talk about it and long as we don't acknowledge it, it didn't happen. And you can just... They, and to them, to that person, they think it's just going to go away, but it's going to manifest in other ways. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come out in nightmares. It's going to... You're going to find triggers. Things that things are something is going to trigger that memory eventually, and it's going to affect you mentally. You're you're going to have you're going to have something from it. You don't leave. I I still to this day cannot stop hearing the sound of a man that I heard dying from fentanyl poisoning at the same Max station where I catch the Max after I walk through that camp. The sound and How do you know gasping he died? for air. They couldn't wake him up. Oh, geez. So you they watched used, they them used, try to resuscitate him? They, they kept trying to resuscitate him. They ran out of Narcan. Oh it was God. when it was snowy. Nobody else was coming. The woman that, that gave him the drugs that they were smoking, she took off down the train, tra- down, running in the snow with me chasing after her. I got video of that. Because <laughs> I was just like, you just gave this man drugs. He's dying. And you're, you're running down the street. She had taken his phone. She threw his phone down. I guess I don't know if she's going to take the phone. And I, I don't know what she was thinking. They ran out of Narcan. 
He, the, the sound, if you hear, so what happens when they die from this? They don't die a silent death, you guys. They gasp for air. It's like a gasp that you will never hear anyplace else except for maybe if somebody has sleep apnea. But you know that this person is not having sleep apnea. They're gasping for air because everything in their body has like just given out and they're just, there's nothing left. The, the, the Narcan isn't bringing people back. One of the um, nurses um, that works for the Portland uh, Street Medicine she makes sure that all of us have Narcan or have it available to us, but the reality is, is it's not enough. The fentanyl that they're using is not, it, it's, the, the, the Narcan just is nothing next to the fentanyl. It's absolutely nothing. And it, it, sometimes it's just not possible. It's not even real. It's just not even realistic to think that regular citizens like myself are going to be carrying around a bag of Narcan that's going to like save all these people. I mean, you come across so many that. Um, I mean, I, I would say it'd be safe to say that if if anybody was really walking around in downtown Portland on a regular basis, they could probably use up probably about eight things in Narcan within a day of trying to save people from their own demise from whatever they ingested. Because the fentanyl's getting stronger. Something. Because the Narcan ain't, one thing in Narcan ain't cutting it. It's multiples. I haven't, I haven't heard, Oh, I'll take that back. I've heard two stories of people using it one time, but all the other stories are they've had to use three to four um, containers of Narcan. And also, too, I, mean, I see Narcan getting wasted, too. Do you know how expensive that stuff is? So we're buying, our, we're, our tax-paying dollars are buying Narcan and distributing it to people everywhere. And... I see it getting thrown around on the streets. I see the um, addicts that are getting it. You know, they just, they they get high and they get careless with their possessions. And so you're seeing, if I'm not mistaken, Narcan costs in the upwards of almost $100. And it's appalling when you see this stuff just being thrown around on the streets and being wasted. You know, it's. There's just so many ways for people to make money off of this crisis. It's just ridiculous. So, you know, we're buying narc. I mean, we as we are as consumers, Portland is really who cool. are keeping some folks in business, huh? We're buying Narcan, we're buying tents, we're buying tarps, we're buying needles, we're buying, buying foil, crack pipes, crack straws. pipes and tin foil and straws. I mean, come on, does this not say come to Portland and use drugs? I still want to see those numbers on how many people moved here and aren't originally from here, you know, but moved because, well, our addiction laws are more favorable to addicts. I mean, I don't know that we would have, um, I know that we don't have specific numbers on that because they wouldn't, they don't keep you track of anything. No. Um, but the Multnomah County point in time count, they do do this and everybody says it's acknowledges that it's totally unreliable. Um, but 
the last time I took a look at it, and I'll go ahead and link to it. Every, everybody says it's unreliable because these are people who are self-reporting and, um, you know, so the, num- the number is likely um, very high in regard to the people who are coming here from elsewhere because they're not, a lot of people are not going to acknowledge that they're not from here because they'll be afraid that they're not getting services. But if you look at the latest Multnomah County point in time count, it shows that, and I'll, again, I'll link to this. So in the point in time count, I'm looking at it right now, it's a 6.4.1 is where you'll find it. It's, it's a table. And it says length of time living in Multnomah County and, and living situation. 22.2% who come here unsheltered say they're from here originally. 22.2%. So the, everybody else unsheltered, yeah, not from here. Imported. We have the same problem in Hawaii. So Hawaii, because it's so warm, we do have people that intentionally buy one-way tickets so that they can live uh, in a more favorable environment. I know it's a wild thing for people to think, but again, no, I, being a drug addict doesn't mean that you're uh, ignorant. Let's. You've you've already said that they're they're smart people. Well, they find these the are drugs people somehow. with educations. The man that I just recently attended his um, his sentencing hearing for the the knife and stuff against me. That guy has an associate's degree in uh, in in drug treatment and counseling. Wow, that's so sad. He was a drug therapist who had seven years clean under his belt. He was on Section 8 at one point. He had family members he had let move in with him and was facing eviction because, you know, you can't have other people that aren't on your Section 8 um, voucher living with you. So he had that going on. Then I guess that something was happening with his marriage and was going through a divorce. So he relapsed in 2019, he said, and has been living on the streets it's ever terrible. since. And then what that led to is our encounter in front of the Portland City Grill where he threw something hard at my face as I was walking home from Whole Foods. And then he threatened me with a knife and pulled out a knife several times. And then went through the Portland City Grill uh, lobby area where there's a bunch of people getting out from having dinner. And, you know, these, this situation could have ended so much worse. And, yeah. and the police got him. The police picked him up and everything. But, you know, it's just it just goes to but show you that he had a background in, you know, in he's educated. These are not stupid people. Well, and where is the intervention? Like, why do we have to wait for this guy to hit you in the head and brandish a knife to intervene? Why can't we intervene? Kevin Barton talked about this. He was like, look, there's only so much a district attorney can really do. He's like, we can, certainly they can do a lot of damage, you know, look at Multnomah County. But he said, there's only so much we can do to like, quote unquote, deal with this drug problem because he said as he said we see people after they've committed crimes sometimes very very serious crimes Mm -hmm. so where is the intervention before the darn crime yeah why aren't we intervening before the crime this is so silly he was picked up for offenses prior to this he was picked up from he has multiple drug 
drug offenses that that happened prior to and our we encounter. We shouldn't even be getting to that. We shouldn't yeah. even be getting to the first offense. We shouldn't even be getting to the most tiny misdemeanor. We should be intervening the minute we see a tent pop up. Yeah. We should know somebody How is in serious is drug addiction. To hire and see, we're, we're giving out all these city jobs and stuff, right? How hard is it it's to not hard. continuously we have the sweep these areas that we know have these it's not camps hard. We have the money. and go around and make sure? Do we see a tent popping back up? You just It's not hard to just go drive to these areas that have repeated offenses. Yeah, and we have the money to do it. But we're not utilizing it. Like all that money that was spent on tents for the homeless, that could have been going towards other things. All of this money that's being spent on these tiny home safe villages – this is a lot of money. That there's still underfunded programs in Portland for the elderly, for children, all kinds of things. I liked That's Tina right. Kotek when she came in, and the reason I voted for her is because one of the things on her platform was addressing the kids coming out of child protective services because we're not getting any kind of adulting skills yeah, coming out of there. Right. We're not getting any resources. We're, I literally got all of my belongings from staying in the same foster home for two years, maybe three. I got all of my belongings. Me and my baby's belongings were all thrown onto an extra large king-size flat sheet and wrapped up like a hobo bag and put onto my mother's front porch. Oh my god. I had I had almost no adult skills. I was 17 years old well, you with had, a you baby. Didn't. Yeah, you didn't have any. What check writing skills and stuff I had, I got from a home economics class at Portsmouth Middle School <laughs> where we had to like find a job in the paper and find a home right. and write these fake checks. That was my teaching of how to be an adult. So Aaliyah, after voting for Tina Kotek, and I totally understand why you did that, are you frustrated with her assertion that this is a housing problem? It's not a housing problem. And I really get irritated when people say yeah. it's not a housing problem. We don't have a housing problem. Now, if you want to talk housing and stuff it, it, it's not about housing people we're having a problem getting drug addicts off of the street now right. i'm not saying that we don't have people that are homeless because the cost of living is outrageous we do. certainly we do but that's not the issue that we're dealing with right now that is not the issue that we're talking about when we're talking about making our neighborhoods safer yeah. in general those people are law-abiding people they're not yeah. terrorizing the community no. they're couch surfing or they've moved Students. many of them are in east county most of there's a lot of there's a lot of PCC Portland yeah. Community College students that are couch surfing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's right. There's there's mothers with children that are couch surfing. That's right. But again, I would challenge anybody to show me these. Just like with anything, you have a small percentage of people that are legitimately, you know, maybe struggling on the streets to get into some kind well, of and housing. Why aren't we and housing our them? Why aren't we housing those people? Why aren't we housing the couch surfing yeah. mothers? Why aren't we building? Why aren't we using the quote-unquote safe rest money to build, to build for them? Yeah, safe mom Aren't villages. they deserving? Aren't, are they not deserving? Mm -hmm. Are they less deserving than the people we're giving the foil and the straws to? There's no compassion, like you said. You're, you, you should be happy that you have at least some couch to sleep on. These people have nothing. Right. And that's not an acceptable excuse. 
Well, Aaliyah, I really appreciate you coming in, and you've been so vulnerable today and brave, and I admire you so much, and everything that you do for Mm. our county, I admire it so much. What is there anything you want to leave us with or um, anything you want to close with that we haven't covered? No, I I just I hope that people will come to my Instagram page at PDX Drama and look at the situation for yourself as to what we're dealing with. I try to document as many things as possible and I, it's to get awareness. I, I want people to see what residents in downtown Portland are dealing with because there's been such a focus on the businesses and stuff. But, you know, what's being ignored is the problems that the residents are facing and the trauma that they are experiencing from the city being unwilling to tear down illegal unsanctioned camps that are extremely dangerous in our neighborhood. But they were willing to sweep around their favorite businesses, their own offices, and then just left the residents to fend for themselves. I mean, the Portland Rose Festival was a clear example of what happens. When the city wants to throw a party, they're able to sweep these areas, and that's what they did when the military ships came in and the Rose that's Festival right. happened. That's actually a great... They swept everything, and they do it every Saturday morning for the Saturday market. So why aren't you? So we know this can happen. So for the city to say, well, we need to do this, we need to do that, they didn't do that when they had to sweep for the the, um, Rose Festival, the Blues uh, Festival, or the Saturday night market. Yeah, you didn't hear any excuses being made. You just saw it being done. Exactly. So why is it? not happening for the residents. We pay property taxes. We're, we're, we're struggling too. We need help. We need help. So I hope people, even if it's, even if you show up, you can show up to even talk about somebody else's issue that they're having in their neighborhood. You are welcome to show up to the commissioner meetings and speak. It doesn't have to be about an issue in your neighborhood. If you're appalled by something that you see happening to somebody else, Go and show up to the commissioner meeting and speak on it. Speak on it. I I can't tell you enough that, you know, I know that it seems like our voices are being unheard, but I feel like the more people we have, the stronger and louder our voices get. Yeah, we're stronger together, that's for sure. So I hope people show up. But thank you so much for having me on your show and thank also you. allowing me to talk about these things because I know that they were, I, listen, I know it's, it's pretty cringy, huh? Yeah, I mean, is <laughs> right. What, what we need is for less um, severely mentally ill people to go to these commissioner meetings. Not that they don't have a voice, of course they do, But what we need is for more um, working people to the extent that you can. I know many of you are working from home now due to COVID. Um, It's a, you know, go to the county website. Um, It's either usually there. I mean, the website will tell you that they're generally at 930. Sometimes they move it to nine. But anyway, it's at the beginning of your workday. Carve out some time. Use your lunch break or something. It's on Thursdays. Again, you don't have to sign up ahead of time. It's it's way easier than the city. You just stroll in, sign up with the clerk, write down your name. She'll usually it's a she. We'll call your name, and then you just go up there. And you don't. A lot of these people don't have anything prepared. You can have a, a lot of the time. 
um, I'll be going into work and I'll stop by and I'll just have a bullet point list and you mm -hmm. can use that. I mean, it's it doesn't have to be, you know, this is, you're not, nobody expects you to be JFK here. You don't, you right. don't need to um, be Barack Obama. You don't, nobody expects that. And nobody's hearing that really. What they're hearing from is um, a, a contingent of people who were, who were there um, every week because they, they, they're not, um, well, and, and then you're hearing from people like Aaliyah, who's there every week and who has a message and who is coherent and cogent, but she needs more of you there. We really need more Aaliyahs. And actually that's part of why I noticed you. I think I approached you. I, I you had did. noticed you. you yes. Did. I had noticed you from another couple of meetings. And I remember I kept saying to my friend who was next to me, I got to get her information. I'd really love to have her on the podcast. And then, and she reminded me. And so that day I finally went up to you and said, Hey, you know, if at all, you don't have to do it or commit to anything, but if I could get your information, that would be so great because the things that you were reporting at these commissioner meetings, I just felt needed to be amplified. Everybody needed to hear what you were saying at these commissioner meetings. And I think they get drowned out because we don't have a lot of people at these meetings because they're during work hours yeah. um and i think people don't have the information so i'm gonna link to all the information in the show notes please f just go to the multnomah building thursdays 9 30 and shoot you don't even need the show notes just show up and sign in because you don't need to if you're in person you don't even need to fill out a form if you're virtual yes you need to for fill out a form so go to the show notes if you want to do that but otherwise show up at 9 30 and sign in because as you were saying that one time you showed up when you thought it was at nine and it or no it was at 9 30 and it was at nine but you were still able to testify right yeah well, no, not the first time. Oh, you weren't. Okay. Oh, man, it was a process. I mean, well, then yeah. it is important. So that's not a lot of access to justice. That's unfortunate. Um, so what I would do, so I'll put in the show notes their agenda, too, because usually they will say, okay, we're moving it. And I saw that the, when I was supposed to testify and it was going to be at 930 and they moved it to 9, I, it was on the website. So they usually will say the night before or the morning of, just check the website and make sure it's the right time because you won't get notice about that. But I will say when you show up at the right time, um, it's easy to do. It's it's not, it doesn't take a lot of time and it actually doesn't even take that much planning. You could decide that morning. Just go to the website and find out what time it is. Right. Right. So thank you again, Aaliyah. I really appreciate thank you coming Thank you so in. much. Thanks for doing this and shining a light on what we're going through over there. This is so appreciated because honestly, feeling like so many times like going to the meetings and stuff until Julia came in, I just would get the blank stare. Yes. Isn't that weird when it you just weird. that that blank weird just vacant stare it's like when you're talking to them and doing your testimonial it's like oh you could burst into tears as you have done as as i've seen people do yeah and the, they stare at you with dead eyes yeah. it's very different than city council where they were actually sometimes talk to you during your testimony or sometimes when you're done with your testimony they'll engage in a dialogue with you and say thank you so much and ask you questions this is just thank you and the mic gets turned off and you're finished yeah yeah. So it is a weird. I, I, it yeah. is weird. It's different. I but you know what? That. I go. I go to it so often though, because I remember the first time I went, I felt really nervous, and you know, just I think that I felt um, inadequate for being there. Like I just didn't. I just it's intimidating. But at the same time, it's like once I once I realized and got there that it's not a hard thing to do, and it's just you're talking to people, and that's essentially what you're doing. You're just talking to another right. person and telling right. them your problems with your area. And that's their job. So, all right. Well, I'll thank let you, you again. Thanks again.